Welcome to Armchair Producers. This is episode 126. After a very long hiatus, we do apologize for the delay for all of our fans and listeners out there, but we are back and we are ready and raring to go with our standard monotony as you well expect from the Armchair Producers. Now let's just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Armchair Producers, episode 129. I apologize for the audio shit quality of last episode. Apparently, Restream does not like talking to Safari, and moving over to Chrome has apparently improved that. So hopefully you'll be able to actually hear what I'm saying and enjoy it, not get headaches. Well, no more than, you know, usual. Anyway. Yes, from listening to us. (laughs) Yes. I am one of your hosts. The permanently disheveled George Terran, and I am joined by the holly fucking jolly Travis Croft wearing a Merry Christmas top. It is a Cosby sweater level top. I am the reason for the season, that is true. Um, this is this is my whatever. I actually have two ugly Christmas sweaters, and um, this is actually the first time in a while I've got to wear one. Um, So I'm, I'm a bit excited. Talk. I'll be back. Okay, I'm just going to fill here. Uh, if you can't see this, if you're on the stream later or you listen to the podcast and you can't see the glory that is this Christmas sweater, it is uh, it's a Pulp Fiction Christmas sweater. You can't really see that. It's probably a little bit small there, but that is uh, Jules and, uh, oh, goodness, Samuel Jackson, John Travolta from, um, some, uh, from uh, Pulp Fiction holding upside-down candy canes. Instead of gun, candy cane, sorry, instead of gun. So someone's done a very nice Photoshop job there and then probably 3D printed this in a very sketchy location somewhere in China. And yes, I'm pretty sure it came off Wish. Uh, so it's not very comfortable. If it's not very high quality. For ugly Christmas t shirts and sweaters. There we go. Boom. There we are. We are the reason for the season. So, you know. <laughs> I was just saying, I think I bought this off Facebook or something, and yeah, well, who else? How else? If they photoshopped the smile onto John Travolta's face and they're holding candy canes instead of guns, so um, it's a, lot. A, a thing of beauty. It is definitely a thing, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, we got a packed show this week, so I've been busily watching some interesting new content this week, and on top of our uh, chain movie, I've uh, seen. Dune this week. I finally got around to seeing Last Night in Soho. I've rewatched uh, the Matrix, um, the second Matrix film reloaded with the third, what fourth one? Sorry, due to come out in about three weeks here in Australia. So, mm-hmm. uh, what's been on your agenda this week? Well, of course, I had to watch Dune because I've been looking forward to that movie. Um, I caught up with the latest episode of Wheel of Time. I have not watched this week's episode of. Um, hawkeye yet i was a busy bee this morning so i didn't get a chance to do that um i've finished watching season one of sweet home which i talked about a couple of weeks ago um a korean monster horror society kind of weird thing um and i would actually like to talk a little bit about multiplayer gaming because me and travis actually did some for a change yeah we we did some and i have because I want to see if I can break my own curse. I experienced some of Halo multiplayer for the first time ever. 
So I'll have conversations about I, I've, that. I've had a crack at that as well, so we can we can compare our notes. Yo, look at that. We're synchronizing without even talking. This is this is the, the quality show that you, you stream in for for every week. Oh, <laughs> uh, dearie me. Or if I just get stuck on the channel and I don't know how to change it. Oh, why won't uh, it let me escape? 42 channels with nothing but cats. Uh, <laughs> should, we, should we start with a big one where I think we're, the big new one we both saw for the first time this week mm. is, is June. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's the big-ish. I think it just came out here. Mm. most of the world for at least a month i think it came out on hbo max i believe in the u.s before it came at the same time as cinemas or yeah that's right um but it's been it's fairly new here i saw it at the imax melbourne and carlton gave me warm fuzzy memories of a time we went to see mission impossible 62 so we could see the first five minutes of uh, (laughs) uh uh dark knight rising um that's true. That's it's a long true. time ago, but um, it's a it's a fine way to see a film in in Melbourne, and I think the screen you see it on matters. Yeah. Um, if, I, I would if you just as off the bat before I say anything about this, if you're gonna see this film, don't pirate it. Um, no. if you've got if you're an American and you have access to HBO Max, I I would still say find if you can if you're comfortable going to a cinema now, mm-hmm. um, I'd say that is definitely the way to see it, and the mm-hmm. best biggest most high quality cinema screen you can get to in your area so somewhere that's maybe got like uh, i don't know what they call it in the states you know or anywhere else but somewhere with a really good sound system the big screen quality projection just a quality location don't wait until this is at your two dollar joint down the road where the seats have been replaced by lawn chairs you know like it's just it's just <laughs> i've been there somewhere it happened once but um oh, yeah. no. <laughs> um so uh, just off of that See this film on the big screen if you can, and the best screen you can. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, and I think that probably suggests because we have we haven't talked about our our thoughts really extensively. Um, it I think you'll agree with me that this movie is stunningly beautiful, and the sound is quite something. It's 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 stunning. Most of the um, well, all the visuals really. It's been beautifully photographed. Yeah. Um, but before we go any further, this. Do what we normally do and try and give the people who are at home who maybe aren't up with it and give them a synopsis. Um, oh, my goodness. Feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset, the most vital element in the galaxy. Given this, the depth of the story here, that's an incredibly light mm. uh, intro uh, directed by one of, I think, probably our favourite directors in Denny Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we both love Blade Runner 2049. I love Sicario very, very deeply. Mm-hmm. Wasn't quite as keen on Arrival as everybody else, but it's still a very good film. The guy mm-hmm. is, I think, arguably in the in almost in the, the realm of the likes of Nolan and Tarantino as some of the guys who just don't make bad films. Yeah. Um, stars um, Timothy Chalamet mm-hmm. as Paul Atreides. Um Oscar Isaac is his dad, Joe Leto Atreides, Rebecca mm-hmm. Ferguson as Lady Jessica Atreides. We've got mm-hmm. Zendaya in there, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Dave Bautista, Charlotte a- Rampling, David Dalmashian. It's it's an incredible cast. Yeah. Um, but we were with Timothy, Timothy Chalamet's our antagonist, and we spend most of our time with him. Protagonist, um, not antagonist. Sorry, protagonist. Sorry. Yeah. My bad. He's the he's our Luke Skywalker. 
Uh, and that's an appropriate um, nod because oh, yeah. uh, I think Lucas um, ripped this ripped off it's the uh, quite a bit. Yes. borrowed uh, generously from the uh, source material in his work um, a long yeah. time ago. Uh, first of all, this is the second time this has been put in film. Uh, we mm-hmm. have the 1984 David Lynch version. Are you a fan of Lynch film? Um, in a twisted way, yeah. It's 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 typical Lynch doing things and and playing with narrative and doing something as grand as dune and especially just how dense like one of the comments um from one of your friends when you commented about um dune online that said oh, i felt like i needed a flow chart of who everyone was and you made the comment how they actually did basically produce something like that for the first time um it was kind of a hot mess but there's a lot of things to approve of and a lot of things to kind of go oh yeah it's it's a mixed bag and it's really up to you where sting wearing the winged underpants comes in on that that scale of ooh ah yeah yeah i think it's ooh but you know some might think it's ah yeah i it it's kind of like a lot of people discovered their sexuality when they saw um david bowie in labyrinth and the very tight pants I feel like Sting in those winged undies maybe had a small, slightly more nightmarish variation <laughs> of that. Yeah. Drove people away from their chosen sexuality, <laughs> be, it, be, it, be it whatever it was, be it homosexual, heterosexual, or otherwise in between. Um, <laughs> it just it just made people rethink their place in the world. Those <laughs> um, it's a wacky film, you're right. And that film is just over two hours long, I think, for maybe, maybe, maybe mm. about 130 minutes. Mm. This run runs two hours 35, and it is uh, the first of two films. And I think we have now got the confirmed yes, second film. It's actually greenlit that we'll do a second film, which is interesting because apparently that's a recent development in the sense that they made this film without a, a green light to do the second mm. film. But it was every bit, every always intended to be yes. part one of two. Um, mm. So that's a ballsy call from from um from uh from Dean Villeneuve um who is a, a you, know, you you cut you don't take on a project like this without being a fearless fearless man um, yeah Link did try he wasn't mm-hmm. the first though um mm-hmm. there's a famous Hodorowski film in the 70s that he tried to get it with Orson Welles and Mick Jagger I think was involved yeah there's a great documentary on Prime Video that goes into it and it's it's like one of those movies like um, Tim Burton's Superman. It's mythical in its production design sort of thing and just how balls to the wall and revolutionary for the time it was going to be. And you just can't help but look back at it and go. <sighs> Interestingly, uh, apparently some of the guys who ended up like Dan O'Bannon, amongst others, who ended mm. up working on the original Alien, they were involved in that project. And yeah, some of their right. ideas into what became Ridley Scott's Alien off the back of what they was work, uh, working on. So you're right, it's one of those legendary um, films that mm. never came to be, though apparently the doco is very good. Um, yeah. I have, have you read the book as well? I have, and it's one of my favourite books. Um, I just really, really love its balancing act as a book going from the, because for, for modern audiences who might not have read Dune, um, there is that kind of political side of the story with the warring houses of the galaxy. And people will definitely kind of get, oh, it's a bit Game of Thronesy in space. And I'm like, yeah, kind of, but 
there's a lot more to it. This is an entire galaxy and economy that has been thought out, not just putting houses instead of small countries together and things like that. This is far more meticulously planned than Game of Thrones. And there are far more um, plots, subplots, counterplots, spies, counterspies, double, triple, quadruple spies throughout the Dune saga than there are in... Is it just the one book? Uh, Well... Dune is the first book of the Dune series. There are a number of other books that go on through um, and explain other things. And other writers have come in and written things in the kind of the universe of Dune. One of them in particular is one that um, I remember uh, reading when I was still in London called The Butlerian Jihad. (laughs) And it has got possibly the most meticulous breakdown and explanation of hyperspeed hyperspeed declination out of hyperspeed that i have ever read and it goes into the effects that it has on a human physiognomy and it's just what the fuck (laughs) it's it's not a good book but the detail that they go into is like okay you've really thought about this i'm impressed but i'm not entertained um so it's a bit like star wars in that sense with you know the expanded universe of books and stuff like that except yeah yeah no one's come along and said yeah. they're not canon yet which you know um pick and choose what's canon what's not um, um have you read the book i have not read the book i have seen the original film once mm. i didn't like it um it uh it's david lynch mm. um i'm not a massive fan of david lynch i mm. think he's overrated um but um and it was such a shame we didn't get to talk about firewalk with me because of the um yeah the uh the gods didn't want us to talk about that no, they, really they, didn't, didn't they? they put their foot down on that one but um i'm not a fan of david link and i'm not a fan of what he did with june uh, apart from the wind down the pants which obviously everyone should be a fan of um so what so- what were your thoughts leading into this because we were both both relatively excited about it i think maybe more was, knew it was de- 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 real nerve. it was it's a fact my only real attraction of this film was the director like mm. i had a feeling it was going to be dense and and heavy um mm. and it was basically lord of the rings in space um and i was feeling like that probably wasn't really my jam but mm. then again i kind of felt i was very skeptical of what denny villeneuve was going to do with blade runner like mm. I was like, how do you how do you make a sequel to the fat film? Like, yeah, like there are fifteen different versions of which one. Um, <laughs> you know, how do you do it thirty years plus after the original? You you can't do that. How do you do yeah. it without Ridley Scott? You can't. No. How do you get a good performance out of Harrison Ford? Anyway? How do you get a performance out of freaking Roger Gosling? It's just not him looking good. Like it was just that it was it was no, this can't work. Yeah. But he did. And it really worked for me. So I was like, I have got to go in with a really open mind on this one and go, despite the fact that I didn't like the original mm. and it doesn't sound like my kind of thing, I, I, this mm. could be really good. And, you know, mm. in Denny, we trust. Yeah. Um, and halfway through the film, I was like, so I've read some middling reviews for this. I don't think anyone said it's a disaster. And I think it's fair to say straight out of the bat, it's not a disaster mm. by any stretch of imagination. He's done an amazing job. Um, it, it has to be said. Um but halfway through, I was like, I don't know what people are talking about. This is good. I was actually really enjoying it about halfway through. And I thought to myself, and people have said to me, you know, um, 
I was struggling to understand who everybody was. I'm like, I don't get that. Like, mm. I I'm definitely can be one of those, who is that guy? Why'd they kill that guy? <laughs> uh, kind of guys in the movie sometimes. Uh, and having to look up a plot online so I explain it. So that could be me, but no, I didn't have that experience this week. It was, um, I found myself going, yeah, okay, I'm pretty, and I was doing it pretty nicely. I was doing it really um, briskly, but mm. clearly. So I never had any trouble understanding who the House of Treaties was. There's a Harkonnen, there was the the Emperor, and, you know, there was the, the weird uh, witch clan thing, and... A Bene Gesserit. Uh, and... You know, and kind of, and you're kind of getting a whole thing. Even mum's kind of one of them, and he's the son of her, and so he's, you know, and you know what I think it was. I think the fact that again, this it's like Star Wars ripped so much of his shit off. It was kind of easy to just go, oh, he's Luke, and she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. exactly. Or Padme, yeah. For There's a lot of so like I'll put it in point of reference, and you suddenly go, oh, okay. Cool. So yeah. and and the, the action was moving along at a really brisk pace. It wasn't mm -hmm. any massive exposition dumps of like characters just talking to each other, explaining what the plot was. There was mm -hmm. a fairly limited voiceover at the start from Zendaya. Um, I, I was and you know they were. I was completely following the plot. So mm -hmm. I, I can't say that this is because I didn't. I needed an infographic to tell me whoever he was. I, I was surprised to hear that because I thought he mm -hmm. did a fine job of that. Mm -hmm. Where it really after the massive attack. Um, so I guess the plot basically is um, <laughs> we should have got to this first. Um, <laughs> well, we did read a very basic one. <laughs> Arrakis, it's about the planet Arrakis, which is Earth, right? Uh, no. No? Arrakis isn't Earth. Oh, sure it was. Whatever it is. Then there's a planet and it's got this uh, resource called Spice. It's yeah. a desert planet and it's populated by a fairly primitive race of folks that are called Fremen. Um, well, at least that's what they call themselves in the film. Um, and this spice resource that's found on this planet and nowhere else is the most valuable resource in the galaxy. And different noble houses are granted basically a franchise to exploit the spice and then to gather it and then export it. That had been done recently by the House Harkonnen, and they have now recently been replaced by the House Atreides, who are taking over mm. the running of uh, Arrakis to export spice to the galaxy. Um mm. The spice is the collection spice is complicated by the fact that it's a desert world and this desert world is populated by giant sandworms, which you've probably seen in the trailers. They're giant 400 meter long monsters, which will, you know, uh, eat, a, uh, eat, a, eat the equipment, no worries at all. Mm -hmm. um, where this film really bogged down for me was after a really exciting opening scene where the Atreides people move in and, and start to try and settle out uh, what's going on in Arrakis and. Uh, Timothy Chalamet's character comes in and uh, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Paul um, and he, the, 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 his dad and mum are all there and then that, there's an attack by the house Harkonnen who recently lost control of it mm -hmm. and that was a really exciting sequence and I, I didn't mm -hmm. I wasn't really following I don't know if I watch or anything I thought this is a really interesting place this will kind of move into the third act now mm. you know um, no no <laughs> the third act was all about them leading into the third act and the third act basically was uh paul and his mother running away from people in the desert mm. um and so, uh, it, a little further explanation for people basically um the the emperor has is a incredibly jealous paranoid man and he does not 
approve of the popularity of House Atreides. They are uh, a very popular, well-regarded house that many of the other houses do overall listen to, and the Emperor does not approve of that potential threat to his position. And hence, the Harkonnen and Atreides houses have been at war for centuries. There's <laughs> decades and decades and decades of bad blood between them. So the Emperor uses this as a pawn, as a method of bringing down House Atreides by getting uh, the Harkonnen uh, family to give up rights of Arrakis, of the Dune world. And it's all a setup to just utterly destroy them because um, during this battle where the Harkonnens refight, the Sardakan, which is the Emperor's um, private military, essentially, secretly do help House Harkonnen attempt to utterly wipe out all members of the Atreides family. So it's all very uh, Machiavellian. Mm-hmm. And and that's not, that's not nicely. I, I followed mm. the plot completely at that point. Mm-hmm. I knew what was going on. I understood. I'm like, that's really clever. That's nice. Yeah. And the scene where the Harkonnen actually attack is really cool mm-hmm. and really exciting and really well done. And, and it looks amazing. It sounds amazing. Mm. But from then, it got seriously bogged down. And so boring. Like, it was so dull of just Paul and his mum escaping from various situations to various situations, all to sort of try and survive long enough to sort of, you know, I could tell what was going to happen. He's going to gather the Fremen and then, you know, come back as their saviour as Luke Skywalker and, you know, um, <laughs> take down the, the people who killed his dad and stuff like that. And and in dispersed it was like an, an endless procession of dream sequences. Like, <laughs> if there would be one more dream sequence in this film, I was going to stab myself in the face. Like, there was so many in them of, of Paul having dreams of um, Zendaya, character Chani. Hmm. I'm like, I get it already. I get it, Paul. You know, Danielle, I know they're linked. It's like, he's, yeah, he's going to find her and they're going to be in love or something. And, you know, it's really... <laughs> Important love or something. Yeah, I don't yeah, know, yeah. but like she's gonna important to the story. They're linked somehow, and I'm like, I get it, I get it already. Can you just finish this goddamn film? Like, it, honestly, it's two hours thirty five minutes, probably about what one would expect for a story of this scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Eternals was about the same and didn't have anywhere near as much material to fill the screen with. Mm-hmm. So it's less self-indulgent. I'll pay that because I say I come in here every week and I say the same thing. It's too long. Yeah. I'm not saying it's too long, but it's too long. Um, <laughs> five minutes. Five minutes could have tightened this right up. Like mm-hmm. he was the second, the last, probably the last half of the film, which is the third act, really dragged for me. And it really needed to, <laughs> come on, get on with it. You know, but you really don't know that you're adding a whole lot to this story. I don't know. You guys know what's... If people who've read the book and who love it, they know what's coming. It feels like to me, that guy... It feels like he what he got wrong is what Peter Jackson got right with Lord of the Rings. Mm. You know, but all my friends who I was with, he was at the time, were like, I can't believe we're not putting Tom Bombadil in a semi really in the hood. It's really important. And you're like, <laughs> you know, what's what's important about the Lord of the Rings films is what he left out. Yeah. You know, there's always more you could put in because, you know, Tolkien was um, so prolific. Yep. Um, and obviously, I, I know the book is incredibly dense, so there's obviously even probably he's probably even been slim, slim this down quite a bit to tell the story the way he has. But I, for me, and I'm in definitely in the minority here because everyone seems to enjoy it. 
critics love it, people mm. love it. It it was very slow and boring in the second half, and I just needed something to. If he could have got out in two hours twenty minutes, that would have been amazing. Um, I feel like um, part of the problem. I generally kind of agree with you that the that the last part of this movie is much slower, and it doesn't have the agency as the the rest of it. I think part of that is because this isn't the a complete translation of the first book for anyone who might not be aware of that. This is essentially half of book one. And so it just narratively in the a grand telling of, of a book from beginning to end kind of stopping halfway is a weird, there's, there's not a particularly good organic spot there because it's either going to be like what happened here where it's a, a lull before that last half of the book where everything builds up and up and up and up. And then you've got the massive crescendo for this huge thematic emotional outlay of everything coming to a head, or you have this kind of smaller thing. And this is where Lord of the Rings was again, a good example of this split into three movies where you, there wasn't actually a lot of, action in the the last part of um fellowship of the ring and then the two towers you had the the battle at helm's deep which were seemed huge in, in scale but then by the time you get to the two um the uh return of the king you suddenly got literally war and it's like okay they escalated and they escalated good they in dune you don't have that kind of legitimate three stages of escalation going on it is the the setup and downfall of house atreides and then this slow rebuild and development and it's it cuts across years of paul atreides being in amongst the fremen um and learning their ways and becoming slowly becoming who he is it's not something that happens overnight and having something like that it to make it feel more grandiose, it does make more sense to stretch it out and have these quieter moments. You can't just have it drama, drama, drama all the way. And then the end is the revelation. So narratively, it's a tough one to finish. And I can see why. <laughs> Hi, Kara Kitty. Nice to see you awake. Um, she's just in the chat. And um, so it, it does make sense. I really enjoyed it because I know what's coming. And this this was a movie that I absolutely enjoyed from beginning to end. And I was giggling like a schoolgirl when it's like the the name Bene Gesserit came out for the first time and things like that. I was like, yeah, I know what this, that's cool. And like the, the dream sequence that Paul has where essentially the Fremen are just taking over the universe and it's just slaughter and religious wave it's like wow that was really fucking well done i would have liked to maybe have less of the charney um, dream sequences and maybe a bit more of that and a bit more build up to that um but i think you're right um when you said about what was left out for the lord of the rings and there were some very key very important things that were purposely left out here like for example, the backstory as to why the Atreides doctor betrays them. It's, they don't spend a lot of time on that, but in the book, there's this long thing of um, he 
gives um, Paul this book and it's got something to do with his wife in there. So like, that's all really good in a book, but you don't fucking need it. Get it out. They got it out. They got yeah, on. They did, they did that well. I, I understood exactly yeah. what was going on in that scene. And, and yeah, know, it was initially like, that's a bit weird. But then he's like, oh, we've got my wife. And yeah, um, it's uh, it, it was pretty nicely done. I, I, I don't have that background in the book, so I couldn't say. Mm what necessarily needed to be left in or out. Um, like I said, so many of those, there were so many of those Charney dream sequences. You're like, I mm. don't know that they were doing, I've, I've made it clear. I think <laughs> I didn't think they were doing anything. <laughs> and so you left two of them out. There's a couple of minutes. you got people back in people's lives. Yeah. You that's, that's, blood, that's fair. Blood run back into your ass because <laughs> it was getting pretty sore. I should note as well. There was somebody sitting next to me who smelled like he had gone for a run all day and hadn't mm. showered. And somebody in front of me smelled like they've been smoking bongs all day. Um, oh God! So it, it was a an uncomfortable viewing experience in that sense. It may have maybe a little contributed. I was like, it's like, come on, get on with it. It's just, it's, you know, get to the fucking point. Another criticism <laughs> I have here is mm. I didn't, and maybe this is just me, mm. but I didn't really get the characters' names, like. I'm reading all these reviews and they're like, oh, blah, 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 Duke Atreides, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, sorry, I, I don't know if anybody actually said his name more than once, but I didn't pick <laughs> that up. I didn't pick up Paul's name very well. He was just Timothy Chalamet to me all the film. I'm like, I wonder what his character's name is because it really hasn't been reinforced terribly well. So, yeah, well, and that's, like that's the, only ca- the only character I could have walked out of that film and known 100% what his name was was Duncan Idaho because it was such a cool name. <laughs> um, that's Jason Momoa's character, and they talk about him a few times. Oh, you can't take on those guys, they're trained by Duncan Idaho, they're the best. And you're like, Yeah, see, um, I, I don't know if that was deliberate, uh, or it's just me not paying attention, but I, I didn't really think that they actually established their characters, they established their characters well in other ways, mm. but just in their who they were, um, not so, not so much. Mm. I, um, I really loved how they showcased the um the long-standing relationship that uh Leto Atreides and um uh Gurney Halleck um so Oscar Isaac and Josh Brolin's characters were and like the first line that Josh Brolin has he's standing behind the Duke at this presentory handing over of the planet Arrakis to mm. and um, without looking, Oscar Isaac's character just says, smile, Gurney. And he's just like, mm, I, am I am smiling. smiling. <laughs> it just spoke to what kind of relationship they had, who they were to each other, that there was this bond between them. And then getting to suddenly see the the more familial brotherly bond between Paul Atreides and Duncan Idaho, where they're kind of hugging and things like that. So I'm like, okay, I'm kind of seeing sort of like old guard and new guard kind of thing going on there. I, I think they did actually. Um, I think the cast were excellent, by the way. Yes. So my objections to this film purely come down to directorial choices. I think mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet. He's interesting. He looks very young. I thought he was a teenager for sure, but he's in his mid twenties. Yeah. Um, but he comes. He sort of occupies the role of a chosen one very well, mm-hmm. and and you know, I, I think he occupies that character beautifully. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. come comes across as someone who understands he has a destiny. But and you know maybe a little bit of hint of arrogance about that, but mm. also a help a heaping helping of self doubt or you know he doesn't have that self belief yet, but he you know a little bit like a little bit like you know it, back to it, Luke, 
uh, at the start of Empire. You know, he knows he's got something special about him, but he's not quite sure how to channel it yet. Yeah. Um, his mum, Rebecca Ferguson, I think, was probably the, so good. the standout for me in this because oh, yeah. I think we know the others. I think Timothy Chalamet's won awards and stuff. I don't know that I've ever noticed Rebecca Ferguson in anything before. Um, she she's has in a couple of Mission Impossible films. I really like. Um, like um, she was in a couple of the Mission Impossible movies, and she was a good, strong performance. Um, what was what was it that I saw her in? And she was really good. she was actually pretty good in life. Doctor Sleep, maybe. Uh, yeah, Doctor Sleep. I really enjoyed her in that. That was good. Um, oh, she was in Us. No, that, that must be a different us. Oh, yeah, that's a different us. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, 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 I honestly hadn't noticed her. I've seen her in stuff. I've seen The Greatest Showman. I regret it. Um, <laughs> but, um, I've seen her in things, but I didn't notice her in those things. Um, and she was amazing in this. She has this incredible <laughs> role in this film. And she's probably on screen second only to Timothy Chalamet uh, oh. in his mom. It's the second half of the film. It's just those two together. Yeah. Um, and again, she, she occupies the role beautifully. She has this fierce protectiveness over her son, mm-hmm. um, at the same time as, um, an almost pious, uh, devotion to what were they called again? The, 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 the witches, um, the yeah. Um, so it's an almost, you know, very pious devotion of that. And she understands her place in that. So she does have that, that really nice role of sort of someone who occupies two roles that are incredibly mm-hmm. important to her. And yeah. at some point in time, they those two roles will conflict. Yeah, um, and she you plays really... that conflict really well as well. Like where she's um, she presents Paul for the first time to um, uh, Charlotte, Charlotte Rambling. Rambling. Reverend and Mother Moheim. Yeah, she's just standing guard outside the door, and you can see her kind of fighting both emotions of being a mother to go in and help her son who's in agony versus. I am this, I am a priestess of this belief, this religion, and I, I, I'm i not strong enough to take on that old woman. <laughs> that scene was very cool, actually. Yeah. Kind of, you know, of, of anything, you're going to laugh at me. The film, you, know, the, you know what that scene reminded me of? Mm. Flash Gordon. Oh, no! <laughs> the scene where he has to, where Flash has to put his hand yeah. in the thing, and I'm like, uh, I don't... Timothy Dalton, yeah. I just don't. I don't. I don't think that was what you were going for, there. But um, uh, but so she super super impressed by her performance. Yeah. Amazing. Oscar mm-hmm. Isaac, limited screen time, did really well. Mm-hmm. Really did sort of you know come across as the patriarch of a powerful family mm-hmm. and sort of noble mm-hmm. and strong and brave. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, which I think is maybe what they were trying to sell of the House of Trades as opposed to um, yeah. the. Uh, the Harkonnen, which Dave Batista does nicely in limited screen time as um, the Beast, Rabban, Harkonnen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, M- Momoa is brilliant as the brave and, you know, dashing mm-hmm. soldier. Really mm-hmm. nice role for him, perfect role for him. Yeah. See without a beard. Um, yeah. uh, Stellan Skarsgård uh, really hams it up and she's a scenery as Baron Harkonnen. And yeah. I was really bothering me in those scenes because I was like, Oh, I know that voice, but who is that? Because um, he he is hidden under so much prosthetics and oil and all sorts of shit. It, it doesn't sound like a pleasant role. Yeah, he apparently he was saying in an interview that he found it really quite liberating to be essentially nude and 
wearing this fat suit and just imbuing it because he really does this imbue this sense of disgust and it does come just, across as disgusting yeah yeah and, and you just every single thing like the the moment where um uh dr yue uh, played by chang chen presents his paralyzed duke leto to him and he's saying yes you said you would um uh release my wife to me and he just kind of floats over and just said you want to be with your wife it's like yeah i know exactly what the fuck's gonna happen here and he is terrifying there's there's no big movements or emotion or anything he just barely the the way it does move is is inhuman yeah i think he's um he's he's really nicely done so um really great choices uh from a directing um design this Mm. is going to win a lot of oscars um, I would think technical Oscars at the very least, you know, set design, mm-hmm. art design, costuming is brilliant. Like mm-hmm. just the way the costuming looks, like their house harken and have beautiful sort of very sort of collared costumes, military style and yeah. harken but very nicely done to sort of tell the difference between the battle mm-hmm. scenes between who is who and Yeah. I have one question though. Yeah. Why does nobody have guns? They've got spaceships and interstellar travel, but no one's invented a gun. Guns are boring, man. <laughs> it's like everyone's fighting with swords and spears and shit. I'm like, you they, know, they big, big guns for planetary things. You know, if you, you know, it would be really helpful in this hand to hand battle, a gun. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he brought a gun to a knife fight. Uh, it'd be like that scene in Indiana Jones where the guy's got the big, whoa, 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 boom. <laughs> That's the second half of part two. <laughs> uh, uh, just a note, Zendaya, I haven't, we have, if you haven't called out her performance and you're wondering why, she has. Her role is basically stream sequences or Mm -hmm. 10, 15 minutes at the end where she has half a dozen lines. Yeah. Uh, She looks like she could be good. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, I think Zendaya is a very competent, um, generally a very engaging actress. The stuff that I've seen her in, um, I have no qualms, especially considering how on the nose the rest of the casting has been. I I think... Denny Villeneuve, he really knows how to work with people. I think in part two, there's a lot more meat on the on the bones of Chani at that point, and I think Zendaya can really rise to the occasion. He apparently cast her because she had the best chemistry with Timothy Chalamet. So okay. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But so if you're a big fan of Zendaya, mm. and you're going into this expecting to be wowed by her, Nope. Sorry, maybe lower your expectations on that front. Uh, yeah. You mentioned the music earlier, Hans Zimmer. I yeah. think our, the show's favourite composer, I maybe, I think to me. Um, yeah, I think so. This is Pete Zimmer. Yeah, this is, this is a fantastic kind of amalgamation of a lot of Zimmer stuff. Like there is a lot of the... Like Hans Zimmer did the soundtrack for two very middling to poor movies of The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. Now, the soundtrack for those movies was good. It um, it was definitely kind of evoked that Christian kind of religious iconography that both those movies really imbued. In this, there's still that kind of feeling of kind of religious dogma to the music, but so wonderfully just fused with the more kind of techie sci-fi element that he brought into a lot of stuff that he's been working on with Chris Nolan, particularly um, the more recent Nolan stuff like Tenet and um, 
some of the things that he was those he long didn't do tenant, did he? huh he didn't do tenant uh he didn't I, Hans Zimmer is a big fan of an old tune and turned down working with frequent collaborator Christopher Nolan on Tenet to score this film. Oh, okay. But he has worked with... Um... No, I'm thinking of Inception. Is very, this is very yes, Inception. Thank you. Yes, yes. Um, it, it's phenomenal. It's prophetic. It's gloom. There's there's hope that rises through it. There's um, uh, the, the weird dichotomy of the... The extraordinarily stark hard lines of the Harkonnen planet, which is just like it's almost like a, um, a Nazi version of Coruscant. It's just one big fucking city of metal, and um, then you've got these beautiful open plains of desert. It's it's stunning, and he really captures a lot of the soul and the music. Just becomes a character of its own. I love it. Um. I think so. I feel like I've been critical of a film, and I was critical of a film mm. mainly because I walked out annoyed at how how let down the second half was for me. <laughs> but there's a lot of good here. Mm. He's doing a lot of things right, and um, and as I said, I I think it's important to, to see it on the biggest screen you can. I think mm-hmm. you're much more likely to be bored on what you watch it on your TV because mm. this is a film of scale. And I don't know that we've seen, seen sorry, a film of this scale maybe since the Lord of the Rings films. I don't know that I, I can think of one. Um, yeah. He paints to the edges. I remember so I read a critic who said, Kevin, no, sorry, Peter Jackson paints to the edges. I mm. always love that way of thinking. Mm. And I think in this film, Denny Villeneuve has painted to the edges of his frames. And you give yourself the best chance you've, you can have of liking this yeah. film. They're seeing it in person. Um, if you like the if you if you like this kind of subject matter, you're probably more likely to mm-hmm. enjoy it, maybe more than I did. Um, just felt like it was a bit slow in the end. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's a fair assessment. All right, we can, can I, continue being friends. <laughs> I, as I said, I, I like a lot of what he does. He's a <laughs> masterful filmmaker. Mm. Uh, yeah. What 180s franchise? The next 80s franchise we would like to see him bring back, and why is it Flashdance? Don't put that shit out into the world. <laughs> no. But uh, if we if we got if you if you're cool, I'd like to move on to one more thing quickly. Sure. Uh and I'd like to follow up with something um that you talked about, I think, a week or two ago. Hmm. Uh, and that is last night in Soho. Oh yes. I watched this yesterday. Okay. Um and for those who aren't regular viewers, Caro, you've uh it is very early in your part of the world. I'm uh, thank you for being here this evening. I think it's about four in the morning in your corner of the world. Um, if you went here the other week, George did talk about last night in Soho. It is the new film by Edgar Wright. Yeah, Edgar Wright of the Cornetto trilogy. That is uh, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, and The End of the World. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the end of the world. The world's, world's end. end. Sorry. Um, and uh, Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim. You mm-hmm. wrote Ant Man. Should have directed it. Um, <laughs> and it stars uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, and Thomas and McKenzie, who a lot of people would know from Jojo Rabbit. And I think he was in Old, which I haven't seen. Yes. Um, and it's about a, an aspiring fashion designer who's mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be in the dreams of a past, but to crack and splinter into something darker. Mm. This is his first horror film. And as if I recall correctly, you were... 
tepid on this film to yeah. tepid the cold. You didn't like it very much. It was it telegraphed too many of its punches for me. I think that's fair. I really disliked this film actually. Mm. Like I would not go so far as to say I was tepid. I mm. was really, really disappointed. Mm. Uh, in it. I don't think I've ever felt this way about an Edgar Wright thing. I think I've enjoyed everything else right. he's done to date. Mm. Um, and I think the last one, with Baby Driver, you and I might have seen that together, and I remember really yeah. digging Baby yeah. Driver. I think that was a lot of fun. Yeah. D don't mention Kevin Spacey. Um, <laughs> uh, this one, though, and I thought, what an amazing cast, interesting mm -hmm. idea. <sighs> and to... Um, um, to say you telegraph his punches is probably being generous. Mm. Yeah, I would say this film employs every tired trope and cliche mm. in the horror book. You've yeah. seen everything that this film does done does, sorry. You've seen it all before. Yeah. Um, you know, to the character with supernatural powers mm -hmm. doesn't realize that nobody else sees her sees what she sees, and you know, mm -hmm. that you know, she's screaming and looking like a crazy person. At something that no one else can see and isn't really there. Like, mm. like what bothers me, like about the character Thomas and Mackenzie basically sees ghosts. You know, yeah, it's very loosely covered early in the film. By she sees a, a, her mom, dead mom in the in the in the mirror, mm -hmm. um, and I think her grandmother says something about it, and like, oh, you know, you're still seeing your mom, kind of thing. Um, yeah, but it's not really ever explicitly stated that's what it is. It's like. Yeah. Very, I guess we have to use our brain for that one, and I didn't sign up for that. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's all the, and you know, to, to, she she goes to sleep at night in the, in her bedsit, and she wakes up in essentially experiencing the life of a 1960s nightclub singer, aspiring nightclub singer, mm. um, Sandy, played by Anya Taylor Joy. Mm -hmm. And as that goes on, you know, she starts to experience some of the horrible things that happens to Sandy. And, you know, she's running around and she's screaming and looking like a crazy person. And mm -hmm. if you see ghosts, like, obviously, she's not the first time she's seen ghosts. You know that nobody else sees what you see. Yeah. A, that's not really there, right? Yeah. And B, no one else can see what you can see. So, yeah. I don't know, for some reason, that kind of lack of logic of how the character behaved bothered me in this film it's i think it's all the stuff the age-old criticism that we nearly every week talk about and that's things happen because they have to rather than following previously ex um, explained or even just behind the scenes rigid rules of the world that they're playing in and you know it's like okay so she sees ghosts. That's fine. It seems to be a reflection thing. Okay, that's fine. When now? Wait, is she actually? Is is this like a lot somewhere in time kind of thing where she is as she sleeps? She's literally in, imbuing the body of Anya Taylor Joy because you've got that reflection thing where she sees herself in that thing. It's like okay. All right, let's this will this will explain itself. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Can can the ghost physically affect her? Yeah. Sometimes they can, but then they don't. You're like, yeah. Tell me what kind of ghosts these are. Like, um And the the the, the big thing for me that is the the worst trope that this movie does is the fact that the ghosts in the end that are sort of like, oh, they're they're somewhat 
benign. They're just wanting help. They've been able to manifest themselves and be really creepy and fucking scary. Not one of them has gone, you know what? I'm just going to try and reach out and be nice. Oh, I'm just going to stand here and do the Macarena because that's the least <laughs> threatening thing I can do as a ghost. Yeah. No one's scared of a ghost that does the Macarena. Horror directors of the world, you're welcome. You can have that idea. That's for free. You can have that. Um, but, the, you know, and, and the amount of times that she'd be like, ah, a ghost, turn around, look back. Oh, they're gone. You're like, yeah. uh, we've seen that so many times. Mm-hmm. It's such a cliche. And, like, it's so annoying. They kept doing it. And they kept doing it. Mm-hmm. And they kept doing it. Um, the only real saving grace for me was Diana Rigg. Yeah. Um, she uh, was wonderful in her role as Miss Collins. Yeah. Um, the twist mm-hmm. around her, which I'm kind of spoiling it a little bit by saying there is a twist, but the <laughs> twist about who Mrs. Collins is, Miss Collins is, is is one of the strong points of a film, but really, um, you know, really kind of didn't take me by surprise necessarily because I think they telegraphed that one as well. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, that's nice. You don't see that very often. That's a little bit original. Yeah. Um, but oh, goodness, what a waste of talent. What, yeah. a, what a waste of a, of a good film. And like, and the amount, again, the amount of directors just ejaculating over themselves, sorry, critics, about yeah. about how good this is. And I'm like, no, it really wasn't. I don't understand. What, what was good about this? Yeah. It was really annoying how cliche riddled it was. And I was just like, I don't know that Edgar should be doing horror films. Um, it was also really one note. I mean, it was, yeah. It was like there was it was all, all po faced and serious all the way through. And I'm like, some jokes in there would have been nice. Yeah. You could have jokes. That's the thing. He he proved with Shaun of the Dead, there was some scary moments in that, but it was it was overall very much painted with a comedy brush. That is that is fine, that is good. We're not saying that he needs to inject comedy into everything that he does, but brevity. It's like what I was talking about with the Eternals of it shows its its pace and its tone and its voice straight away. It's like, okay, we are not going to make any real jokes. Oh, Kamal Nanjiani, yeah, he can do that. And then he's going to go away. This is like, oh, we are we are serious. This is um, this is a love letter to horror movies in the 1960s and all that. So like, yeah, but you do realize there were jokes in those times, right? You, that you were allowed to have fun. It's some fun would have livened it up a little bit. Um, yeah. Maybe change it to the very serious and stony mm. tone. I was just, I was, a bit, I was a bit bored, frankly. I was a bit yeah. an, bored and annoyed. And I, I am, I mean, I am warning Caro, you're watching at home or you're listening to it later. I am in full curmudgeon mode tonight. <laughs> Zero shit's given about that. Um, but, you know, if you're going to keep making subpar product, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's good just so I get a ticket to the next screening because we don't get tickets anyway. <laughs> we would happily take them. <laughs> I, I, if, if it, yeah, I will start. I would turn the curmudgeon down from eleven to about a six. If um, yeah, it was free. Time. I don't think it goes that low. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get me on a good night. Um, you never know your luck, but uh, yeah. the things I will do for free things, you know. Um, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> give me free shit and find out. Um, Terence, shout out to Terence Stab. So mm-hmm. easy. Such an yeah. actor. I mean, he's basically Terrence Stamp playing Terrence Stamp for, yeah. for, 
forevermore. I, I like, it would have been great to see him in, in, in put you, know, you want to make a joke or something in there, just make a Zod joke in there, you know, that would be perfect for Edgar Wright and it would be yeah. super fun and appreciated. But no, no, can't have that now, can we? We're making a scary movie, yeah. And the, the thing was, it wasn't actually that scary. It certainly wasn't scary. I um I watched it uh, yesterday with a, an avowed uh, scaredy cat mm-hmm. who doesn't do horror films particularly well, at least scary, scary horror films. And I'm going to get my butt kicked for saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you know, she she was a couple of points in time was like, hey, you know, those ghosts are a bit creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but and they looked a tiny bit creepy. But other than that, not even the you know the avowed person who's not a massive fan of horror and scary movies didn't didn't get a peep out of her. All I got was annoyed grunts of uh, of oh, you mm. know, like that, and followed usually by me going, "Oh, I know." <laughs> so <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. Or more like followed by me usually probably just going, "Go, come on, you can do better than that." <laughs> um, and yeah, so neither of us enjoyed it, and neither of us was scared. And you have yeah. a spectrum of people there from people who really, like me, don't get scared by horror films to people who you have to be careful and picky. Not quite Shay level, but in the park. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of, of picking your scary movies. And um, neither of us found it scary. So I. There we go. I feel he was trying to say something about the treatment of women in here. And I don't know. I was just, I was just so annoyed. I just missed it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe it's just too highbrow for us. It's possible. Most things are fairness. That, that, you know, that's, like, fair. that's fair. I, I, I have tried watching Bluey a few times, and it's just like that. What that dog's doing with his dad is. <laughs> Come on, slow down, egghead. Hey, I, I'm just about to start watching the remake of Turner and Hooch. So um, there's a remake. Yeah. Hey. Oh, it's a TV show on Disney, and it's already been cancelled. We are pilgrims in an unholy land. Yes, we are, my friend. Yes. Do you, do you want to um, have a chat maybe about the new Wheel of Time before we go to our sponsor for tonight? Yeah, sure. So um, for everyone who – hang on, let me just pull up. Where did I put it? Um, for everyone who doesn't know, I am a big Wheel of Fan fan. Wheel of Time fan. There we go. <laughs> I'm just having a stroke. Don't worry. Time of Wheel. A Time of Wheel. That's the uh, dollar store knockoff. <laughs> yes. Uh, Welcome to the Time of Wheel. <laughs> it's, it's just a, it's just a uh the time of wheel books you get from dollar general it's just a uh, biography of g gordon liddy but we've got the, the funny title on the front so <laughs> there beginning, the first wheel was a square <laughs> coming at you with the watergate references i've never been so tropical in my life we are nothing if not current just look at our sponsors exactly you'll see how current they are soon yeah. So, yeah, we're up to um, episode five of Wheel of Time. And I'm really happy to say that the um, the quality that I've been enjoying is persistent. They are maintaining it. They are doing really nice things on just rounding out all of these characters. Um, like I've talked about bef- before about um, improved agency for some of the characters, but particularly the character of Perrin. And um, in the book, he kind of just feels for for a while before he evolves, shall we say, um, his character feels like a hang along and kind of tangential. And so I'm like, all right, he's just there. He's probably going to be one of those ones that we're supposed to be um, 
emotionally invested to and then when he dies we'll be really sad and sorry but no it uh, evolves much more than that in the books they do stuff in this that just gives his character agency and there's a sequence in this where him and um oh i'm blanking on names now this is just terrible of me um that he is being captured by um the soldiers of the light who are in their eyes good guys because they want to their idea is to get rid of everyone who can use the one power including the Aes Sedai who are the women and any men as well and men when they touch the one power go mad and they want to save the world by killing all magic essentially and he captures these two and brutally fucking tortures one of them um, but the sequence is really good and the emotion between all of the characters is so fucking awesome and how um, that sequence comes to a head and comes to an end is really rewarding and they're doing a very good job of balancing out um, world building through dialogue, through sensible dialogue rather than just exposition dump and bringing it into a position where it's informing the characters, informing the audience at the same time, and being paid off with something as well. Um, we got our first in, uh, interaction with one of the um, generally popular characters called um, Loyal, who is an Ogier. Um, and there was a lot of kind of concern beforehand of, sort of like, oh, what's it going to look like? Are they going to get him right? And I think they've They've chosen some interesting options for how he looks because he's supposed to be this very big kind of almost heffalumpy uh, like walking cow kind of thing with these cow-like ears and hair and things like that. And some people would possibly, especially um, considering the success of the show, Critical Role will in season two or campaign two, Talison Jaffe plays a character that is a furbolg which is like a walking cowman. And I always kind of imagined Loyal to look a little bit like a lot of that artwork. They do something a little bit more ogre-ish and it still works, but the character, it it's a v very much a tease at this point and it's just, oh, it's, it's, it's so, so setting up for, for some really great stuff and I'm really, really happy with it. <laughs> That's it. Plus, it's a plus. Um, you know, speaking about Dune earlier, there's mm. another thing that was considered almost virtually unfilmable. Yeah. Um, Wheel of Time, the fact that they've managed to pull it off so successfully to date, mm -hmm. um, is you know probably very pleasing if that's the kind of thing you're looking for, Hell and yeah. uh, bodes well for the Lord of the Rings TV series that they've yeah. got in the works. I'm, I'm, be, I feel like I'm being really spoiled because. In my opinion, they did a fantastic job of adapting Dune, um, and they are doing a wonderful job with Wheel of Time. Two of my favourite books have been successfully put onto the screen, and I love it. It's a good time to be alive, <laughs> which is you know very rare. I mean, the amount. Of, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we, we've all heard me rant about some of my favourite books that have been turned into films and TV shows. Well, how old was he? Um, or there was a book back about 15, 16 years ago called Imperial Life in the Emerald City. They're turning the Green Zone. The, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I should note the critics have been less kind. Yeah, uh, Metacritic this film has a fifty-five and mm. a user score of six on uh, on Metacritic. Um, so um, 
people maybe are being a little bit too, a little bit hypocritical maybe on on there. Who knows? Maybe it's being review bombed. It's got a seven point five out of ten on IMDb, so mm-hmm. that sounds a little bit more in line with what you're saying. Yeah, I think that it's for real die, died in the war fans. There's reason you could argue that their reasons for not liking it are potentially valid, but I think it's like I talked about it last week. I think the difference of medium time is not an issue in a book. You can go into more detail. You can spend more time talking about nothing because it's world building. And if you do it in an entertaining way, then someone can just pick it up and put it down as they like when you're actually presenting it as, as a performance the the pacing of the story has to play out in a very different manner and i personally think that they're doing a really good job of adapting it it is not a direct representation of the book it is adaptation it's it's yeah you can't as i was saying in june you can't you can't do everything. You know, you're going to leave stuff out that somebody thinks is very important. I was really yeah. looking forward to seeing Tom Bombadil, but sorry. Yeah. You know, you're going to pick somebody. Enough, if you look in the background, Tom Bombadil appears in Dune. It's true. Uh, <laughs> Rumour confirmed. I was Tom Bombadil. Oh, well, you know, it was shot in New Zealand, so, you know. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know if it was. Um I think it's All time right. for our sponsor for the week. I think it is time for our sponsors, my man. Uh, our sponsor this week is uh, uh, Fox WNYW, New York, New York, from 1989. All right. So <laughs> I will get, get that ready, my friend. Get this ready. Just some audio. There go. Around the house we enjoy is washing the family car. Ain't she a beauty? And when we're finished, we enjoy making A and W root beer floats, flipping in the ice cream, then pouring in that rich, creamy A and W. Mmm. Now you try it. Darn! Only had twenty payments left. Make yourself an A and W root beer float. Between you and me. This is one of nature's best kept beauty secrets. Mm. Satisfying. And it's healthy for you, too. Foxy, the natural beauty food. Like smoother, longer than shaving. Cotton test proves it. Now new Nair with no offensive odor. Mmm, nice. Not since the days when Grandma was a bathing beauty has there been such a table-clearing phenomenon. The Friday Night Fun Club on ABC has everybody hungry for Perfect Strangers, Full House, and Mr. Belvedere. It's yummy in the tummy. And all you have to do is watch. Plus, this week, the new treat, Bilby. All right. No pushy salesman will call. No physical required. It's all free on ABC. <laughs> oh, look at the back room. One look and you're hooked. Join the Friday Night Fun Club this week.
Saint-Tropez, France, Gestad, Switzerland, Bali, Indonesia. You can search the world over and find nothing as luxurious as a big, thick Klondike ice cream sandwich. A veritable feast of elegant vanilla ice cream surrounded by a lavish cookie made with fabulous chocolate. Of course it's rich. And because it's Klondike, it's famous. No one puts chocolate and ice cream together like Klondike. Take it from Robin Leach. When it comes to bagging garbage, there's a best way. And a second best way. A best way to close. A best way to lift. A best way to carry away. Why settle for second best? Mr. Bobby McFerrin. Ah, for ocean spray. So tangy. So crisp. Taste refreshing ocean spray cran raspberry. It's music to your mouth. Ah. Oh, grapefruit juice? No, ocean spray pink grapefruit juice cocktail. It's not what you think. It's not bitter. Ah, sweeter. It's all yours. <laughs> ocean spray pink. Kibbles and Bits and Gravy Bits. And Puppy Kibbles and Bits, too. Are the funniest shows on ABC this fall? Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Baseball. You know baseball. Bono's football. Bono's basketball, too. Ooh. Bono's tennis? children and he's the trouble oh my goodness in the closet john candy is uncle buck from john hughes rated pg starts when wow wow that was a good one to end us on like uh, what a great movie uncle buck is hell yeah uh like to circumcise a gnat <laughs> wait a minute bug gnat that there a little similarity going on there Oh, what a great film. So uh, good. It's and it's sort of dirty jokes that kids just wouldn't have got back then. Which yeah. was definitely marketed as a kids' film. Yeah. Um oh, 
and uh, I have to see that film again. It's been such what, what, what a loss John Candy was. Um, mm. And how badass was that Nike commercial? We don't make TV commercials like that. No, anymore. they don't. Uh, for those who don't know, Bo Jackson was uh, an American former baseballer and American footballer. He was the first athlete in history to be named an all-star in both baseball and football. He was to play American football and baseball at kind of at the same time. Um, went on to be an actor, including on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You see that they've done a remake of that as well? Uh, okay. But it's more dramatic, I think. Uh, Certainly yeah, the, yeah. the promo trailer for it is sounding more dramatic. Whatever. Should we talk about the chain movie before we get into the, uh, what, the benefits of uh, remakes? And uh, you chose, you had the keys last time. I did. Uh, you chose to be somewhat controversial, maybe a little about it. Are you, you uh, maybe inadvertently. Um, but you had decided to pick uh, one of your brother's favorite films, I believe. You said. I did, yeah. The uh, David Cronenberg directed uh, Megan Lynch. William Lush, S. Burroughs written book adaptation, yeah. Yes, uh, from 1991, Naked Lunch. Yes. After developing an addiction to the substance he uses to kill bugs, an exterminator accidentally kills his wife and becomes involved in a secret government plot being orchestrated by a giant by, by giant bugs in a port town in North Africa. The new film from Pixar is just so heartwarming. Um, <laughs> really PG-13. Um <laughs> Starring the voices of John Ratzenberger. <laughs> uh, the sequel to A Bug's Life got super weird, dude. Yeah. Well, you um, know, bugs can do drugs too. <laughs> oh, this even writes itself. <laughs> um, stars Peter Weller, um, mm -hmm. Robocop Most himself. famous, yeah, for Robocop. Uh, Judy Davis, the Australian actress, um, mm -hmm. uh, who I talked about a few weeks ago, is in the Australian film Nitrum. Mm -hmm. Ian Holm, Julian Sands, who was our link. Mm -hmm. uh, Roy Scheider, of course, he of Jaws fame. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think I recognised anybody else. Um, yeah, I don't think I did either. Um, just quickly looking at it here. No, there was no one else. But um, what a what a movie. And just the history of this. So William S. Burroughs is a, quite, was quite a notorious novelist. And this is somewhat based on sort of what happened him he actually like, did kill his wife yeah in the william tell routine and i wasn't entirely sure i forgot what william tell the um archer was so for those who might not know the william tell thing is putting like in the it's william tell version an putting apple. an apple on your head and shooting it off and that gets modernized to a gun instead of an arrow and a glass and as you can imagine doesn't go well Especially for someone who's on drugs. As I said, he actually did shoot his wife in the head doing that in yeah. Mexico and uh, was in jail for 13 days or something. Yeah. Um, due to Mexico, some vagaries of Mexican law. Um, yeah. uh, for those who aren't familiar with Burroughs' work, his best known book was probably Junkie. Um, mm. He was a writer, I think you probably included him in the Beat Generation. So thinking um, Alan Ginsberg, Jack Kerouac, that ilk of writer, if you are familiar mm. with those sort of people. Mm. Um, uh, I have read On the Road. Have you ever read anything by any of those guys, Jack Kerouac and no. Alan Ginsberg? 
Um, no. On the Road was a, one of those books you read when you're 25 and you're like, yes, I am going to be the lone wanderer and adventurer, you know. Um, and then you're like, it's cold and there's wolves out. I'm going home. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like it tells, it tells a story about how you wish you were. Um, mm. But uh, if you think, um, you know, if you're going with beat writers, Kerouac mm. is Tom Hanks, you know, to, um, you know, uh, William S. Burroughs is Nicolas Cage. Uh, Amanda Bynes or something. He's like, oh, fucking out there. You know, Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan. He's, he's like, you know, Charlie Sheen. Your Charlie Sheen kind of level of right. Like, if you want something, you know, you know, something competent and enjoyable, you gotta, you gotta go with Com- Kerouac. You know, if you want something that's gonna fuck you up, you're gonna go with Burroughs. Mm. Uh, I used to live with a bunch of stoners back in the 90s who smoked like 24 7. Uh, bongs, and they fucking love this movie. They loved it mm. to death. Yeah. I should note, I fucking hate this movie. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I hate the performances. I hate the puppets. I hate everything about this movie. But I don't think David Cronenberg would be upset about that, quite frankly. Yeah, I don't think he 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 doesn't really make movies to appease anyone but himself i think (laughs) and i agree with you i do not like this movie either it's it's all over the place it i mean i wasn't expecting a coherent movie at all and somehow i was still left wanting (laughs) um it's difficult to say what this film's actually about uh peter weller plays Bill Lee, which was mm-hmm. a known nom de plume of William Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a an exterminator by trade. Mm. And he turns out he figures out that the stuff he uses to kill the bugs is a drug of some kind, I guess. Like, can be get your heart. Yeah. yeah. So he and... Uh, it was not really said that he does, but it's sort of insinuated that he and his wife, Joan, are getting high on their own supply. Hmm. Uh, of bug powder, and that's causing problems with his work. He uh, ends up having uh, the hallucinations that hmm. his typewriter is or a bug. Well, this is before that. He goes to he gets arrested by the police for for dealing drugs, and he has visions of a bug who tells him his wife is a government operative or something. Um, yeah. And so he actually, with some sort of insinuation, he kills his wife on purpose because of that. Um, and then I think loosely following from there. Due to the trouble caused by the fact, you know, he murdered his wife, he is forced to relocate to the Tangiers International Zone. Yeah. And this is how I got to be reading the Wikipedia article on the Tangiers International Zone at around 10 o'clock last night going, was that a thing? That was a thing. It was totally a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can Google that at your own, you know, in your own convenience what the Tangiers International Zone was, but needless to say... It was literally shacked up in Tangiers in North Africa for mm. a while. It's where a number of uh, literary types, I think, it was quite a, a bit of a bohemian place at the time. Mm. Uh, and by moving there to avoid the rap, that's when he's trying to write and he starts to have visions of his typewriter as a bug mm. and telling him to go off and do missions yeah, or something. And his, his job is to report on uh, black meat. Maybe to see... Uh, 
which is like insinuated to be a, a a drug of some kind. Yeah, that is harvested from sea. See, uh, yeah, a giant aquatic centipede or something. Yeah. The only reason I know that line is because it's in a song. Um, I was uh, I was saying to Michelle yesterday actually. I ended up listening to uh, Bug Powder Dust uh, twice yesterday in uh, in preparation for this. Uh, I am looking from the look in your ex face. You are perhaps not familiar no. with the song Bug Powder Dust. It was a popular song um, in the uh, mid nineties by Bomb the Bass um, in nineteen ninety four. number twenty four in the UK charts. What were you doing? You're probably on top of a pops. Um, I don't mm, no, don't know it. I was probably <laughs> playing with my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so they that clip of that 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 line is actually in the song. So I'm like, okay. okay. That's, anyway, you have like somehow you hear some bits in the song. You're like, it's how I, yeah. You know. Um. So then he gets involved in all sorts of other shit that's going mm. on there. Like I think there's insinuations that he has. Well, he I think he was. Gay, bisexual, you know, he's he wasn't gender fluid. In gender his... fluid. I don't know exactly what you'd put it yeah. in. He, he, he was not fussy about who he slept with yeah. in terms of their gender. Obviously, mm. he was fussy about who they were. I'm sure he was a very selective man about his partners. Mm. Um, but they are characters. So I think the character of Kiki, played by Joseph Scorin, is actually based on a character, an individual he actually had an affair with while he was yes. 10 That's years. Right. And then there's also the character of Julian Sands, who's mm. Ives Cloquet, yeah. uh, Ives, yeah. Ives, I don't know, um, who is also gay, a gay character in the film, which is interesting to see such a badass, like Julian Sands usually plays like evil bad guy characters playing, playing in sort of a sort of semi-effeminate gay man, mm. um, sort of a break for him, which he's actually very good in this, by the way. Yeah, he was actually. Um, so there's insinuations of homosexuality involved, and he Ian Holm comes in. He's an, also a writer who mm-hmm. he loans it, and they kind of like they have these conversations about their typewriters and which one's better. And it's like, oh, this this one it just really works with me, and it, it makes everything is so easy to write. It really inspires me. And it's like Ian Holm starts talking about um, like the the um, bills. Built on, which is like a, a, a Nova, a Caps Nova or something like that. And it says, oh, that's too demanding for my tastes. And they, they really kind of um, anthropomorphize their typewriters. Which is, is it, they actually are characters in their own right. They, like, yeah. one typewriter attacks the other typewriter. And yeah. There's a third oh, typewriter. the enemy in here. <laughs> the third typewriter called the Mujahideen, which is, okay, cool. <laughs> which is an Arabic typewriter. Um, he has some very gross animations. The puppets in this are very gross. Yeah, um, apparently they... all the puppets were designed to not last, and now there's only like two of the mugwumps, which are the kind of fully imb- fully revealed aliens that are at the end of the movie. And it's oh boy, this is a whole weird ball of wax. It's um, um it's fucking out there but i think this is why i've said to a few people maybe if i'd been high mm. when i saw this it would make more sense um because it doesn't make any sense straight it's yeah it's it's a strange kind of like there's there's stoner movies and uh 
kind of junky infused movies like i think of um bad lieutenant port of new orleans and that was awesome and it really kind of got you into the mindset of nicholas cage being on fucking drugs and doing all the shit that he does this it kind of feels like you and it, it doesn't there's there's no gateway person to to kind of piggyback into this story and then feel what they feel as well because peter weller his character is so devoid of emotion in everything and it's you can't really connect with him there's no no one in this that you kind of can empathize with or really connect with in any way that kind of gives you an in to this story this is an insular if you get it you get it otherwise fuck off kind of movie it's it you're right. It's it's even out even compared to I mean, Bad Lieutenant is batshit fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, but this is this is even further out there to the yeah. realms of just somebody was super fucking high when they wrote this. Yeah. Um, uh, and I gotta wonder who for who the fuck thought this was a good idea and paid for it to be made. Well, apparently they um they gave um uh Cronenberg a lot of money because he was going to film in. Tangiers. And TG's and there was the Gulf War, so they had to shoot it yeah. in Toronto or something. In Canada. And they, they gave him all this money to to film it in Toronto and Quebec and things like that. And it's like wow, okay. To be fair, people the Canadian film critics and uh, film commission love David Cronenberg. They all they've always supported him and he's filmed most of his movies. And I would say I support that. So this film has a sixteen million dollar budget, according mm. to IMDB, and it grossed Go worldwide, approximately two point six million. So a exactly. massive flop. Yeah. Uh, by ninety one standards, that's fourteen million dollars. Which you have for you know, yeah. sixteen million. It wasn't what it is now. Um, I fully support Canada doing that. If there is, mm. we should be doing that here. If there yes. is an Australian director out there who wants to make a giant pile of shit like this movie is, and so we should give us the two thousand twenty one equivalent of sixteen million dollars to make it. Because mm. imagine all the jobs that the people on this film got. Oh, yeah. you know, people experience they got. People who went on to potentially bigger and better things as a result of this film. If they mm. get put, I worked in David Cronenberg film on the resume. And who knows who would work here in Australia if there was a government agency who would be if they would imagine Peter Weir, you know, great Australian director. Yeah. Bit elderly now, I think, but you know, someone mm. of his equivalent, you know, who made a lot of did a lot of things in Hollywood. If he could go to a government funding body in Australia and go, I want to do a film based on your book, for example, um, and I want $30 million. And I don't know how it works in Canada. I'm sure there's some vetting involved. But, like, and the, on the fact that he is okay. David Cronenberg, you know, like he probably, you're probably right. David Cronenberg's name probably opens a lot of doors mm. to government funding bodies, whoever funds films in Canada. Mm. Um, you know, there should be something similar here. If Peter Weir wants to make a film for 30 million bucks in Australia, there mm. should be someone going, doing a fairly basic, you know, once over, they go, yeah, sure, here you go, here's a check. Mm. You know, and, you know, I've been just saying you should be just giving him $30 million and he can spend it on hookers and blow. Um, <laughs> but, you know what I mean? But, like, it's, it's actually, there's a business plan. There's an idea to create this film. There should be someone in Australia, it should be a government agency giving money out for this kind of thing because... Uh, I can only imagine what Cronenberg does for can Canadian film, for the film industry up there. And well, we are a little bit like Canada. I saw a stat today, but during the pandemic, 
production rates in Australia rose by something like 200%. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, I, I don't think there's much incentive for the Australian film board to back Australian grown stuff because so much American stuff comes over here. And that's good too. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's great that you have a filming sheet here because again, that, that does provide, I know yeah. a lot of Australians last year were like, why are we letting these fucking American actors into the country? I can't go anywhere and they can come here. And I'm like, mm. you let Liam Neeson into the country, 500 people work for two months. Mm-hmm. You let yeah. Melissa McCarthy and a couple of other Yanks to go sit up and do some filming up in Byron Bay. There's another couple of thousand people who get work. Mm-hmm. They go buy, they go to the catering shop, they buy a shit ton of sandwiches every day. Yeah. You know, the local drug dealer is out of, co- out of Coke for the next two weeks, you know, like trying to <laughs> supply these people with. The whole area is dry. Why? I'm not, I'm not insinuating that Melissa McCarthy smokes, smokes. <laughs> Uh, does it does crack? I'm not absolutely not sure, saying it. Sure, I'm, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. I'm sure her husband was in it though, so you never know. Um, <laughs> so you know what I mean? That's that's the kind of thing. Like you yeah. have a couple of famous people involved, and a lot of people get work as a result. So mm. uh, I'd really like to see more Australian stories. Not that Cronenberg necessarily tells Canadian stories, but no. the fact that he makes most of his films there provides a lot of work, and those people get to put it on their resume, and then they end up doing an episode of the X Files and. Who knows where it hap- what happens from there? They could they could end up on a on a set anywhere in the world. But that's kind of off topic, and that's probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. fucking hate this film. Everything about it, it's awful, and no one should ever see it. <laughs> yeah, I I honestly don't think there's really anything redeeming about the movie. Um, you know what it is about it that your brother enjoys? My brother's fucked up weird and he likes fucked up weird stuff. This is the guy that made short movies about cooking um, a placenta and eating it and doing all sorts of weird stuff. Like his his movies are very much in the vein of David Cronenberg where it's he knows what movie he wants to make and he'll be damned. It's like the audience will find it eventually. <laughs> I haven't seen any of your brother's films that you strike me as unusual. You should check them out. I think they're on Prime Video, actually. Oh, right. maybe. Oh, we, um, I think you can. But that said, the fact that you're comparing so them to this doesn't make me want to rush out. Yeah. Well, see, my brother is unequivocally talented at what he does, but he makes very niche movies that he wants to make. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. If you can get away with it, more power to you. Exactly. That's the thing. I, I'm not here saying that they shouldn't make films like this because, like, if, hmm. if it's the kind of film that Cronenberg and Co. want to make, fantastic. I'm just saying it's awful. I and think no one should ever see it. <laughs> I think movies like this are important to come around every now and then. Those just fucked up, never going to make their money back, unusual experimental kind of movies. I think they're important because there are some actors and writers and directors who will find them and just go, oh, fuck, that gives me an idea for something. And we'll suddenly go into this whole new world of, of things. Like, um, you think about, like, The Matrix, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about the Matrix trailer um, later on, but the first Matrix, when that came out, there's so much inspiration from random other places. It's the evolution of an idea. And, like, without this, I, I mean, actually, I'm, I'm going to look at that. This came out in 1991. When did Fear and the Loathing? Fear and the Loathing would have been a couple of years later. A couple of years after, 98. So I kind of feel like 
something like that, the having the balls to do a movie of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, there's probably some inspiration to this. Because, Could I mean, be. uh, that is probably the film I would say is in some ways closest to this. But here's the weird yeah. thing. I really like that film. Um, but I didn't like it until I read the book. Mm. I saw the film shortly after it came out and going, I don't get it. What's this about? And mm. then I read the book a few years later. I'm like, then I went back and saw the film. Like, ah, oh, suddenly it makes sense. Maybe, maybe Naked Lunch makes a lot more sense if you've read the book. Maybe. And that the other big divider between those two movies as well is Fear and Loathing. It plays for fun as well. Whereas this it's doesn't really play for anything. And I'd also note that all the actors seem to mumble a lot, especially Peter Weller. Yeah. Yeah. He's not the most expressive vocalizing mm. actor is the best of times. And he mm. is in mumble central in this film. I think he's like, yeah. speak up, speak up, Peter. I can't <laughs> once, hear you at the back. Once, once more. <laughs> Don't have to shout. I'm not deaf. We've done it. We we've survived our uh, lunch with naked. <laughs> We are, and uh, you are not going to like what I'm going to do with this. Um, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You you said you had some ideas, and oh, you know, I had some. I had some ideas last week. Um, it, uh, I'm just going to find the the link for you now because I'm going a slightly different path in this one. I did some lots of different ways we could take it. I could have gone something obvious like uh, you know Ian Holm and just taken us to um, one of the uh, Lord of the Rings films, which would have been super easy and quite a bit of fun mm. but i've decided honestly i felt a little bit hard done by last night having to watch this piece of crap like it was fucking hard work getting through two hours of this stuff so i've decided that we and our audience you caro mm -hmm. deserve a palate cleanser okay and that is we are going to follow peter maxwell he worked in the sound department on Naked Lunch. <laughs> and, <Fuck you. laughs> and Peter Maxwell, uh, he's had quite a career since then. It turns out he was the dubbing mixer on the 1997 masterpiece Spice World. So that's what we're watching next week. So if I can find it, actually, I haven't checked. Fuck you. I've never seen Spice uh, World. So you, you have um, wanted to angle towards this for ages. <laughs> when you got um, Richard E. Grant came up, and you fucking you tempted it then. I, I, I mean, the idea crossed my mind, but it, I mean, I found a slightly easier way. Um, so I'm just going to have to quickly see if I can source us a copy because apparently, shockingly, I am not sure it's available to stream in Australia. Good. Um, we, you, you might get a you might get a last minute reprieve here. Um, but um, let me see if I can find a slightly less legal copy. <sighs> yeah, you're gonna be all right. Um, I, I think it's like I I will. Um, looks like I should be at a source. Uh, oh. Spice World. Uh, I will come up with something an alternative. In the, oh, in the unlikely event that we are unable to find it, but. What a classic it is. What a, what a cast, you know, the, all the girls in there, Elvis Costello, Alan Cumming, Bob Geldof, Stephen Fry, Jason Fleming, Richard Grant, 
And you know what? The reason why I thought of this is I was watching TV the other night. The 7.30 report was on, which is on the ABC here in Australia. And they were mm-hmm. interviewing, interviewing Alan Cumming. And they were talking about how he worked on the Spice World movie and how lovely the girls were. I'm like, mm. ah, Spice World. That's going to be fun. <clears throat> For those who don't know, world-famous pop group, the Spice Girls, zip around London in their luxurious double-decker tour bus, having various adventures and performing for their fans. The sprightly hour 33, a delightful 3.6 out of 10, 32 meta score. It's mm-hmm. a cult, cult classic. Yeah. I think this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. I can feel an ulcer growing. I, I should also note that I am fully aware I am setting myself up to fail uh, in that he has the keys next week and there are some truly brutal moves he could pull uh, on us, including the fact that the idea for the film comes from a writer called Kim Fuller. Kim Fuller was responsible for a film I saw during the early days of the GNT podcast during the uh, the uh, challenge mode with the envelopes, and that film was from Justin De Kelly. Uh, see now, I'm I'm looking at uh, a possible one here. I'm not going to say the name of the movie, but just the the synopsis: a maid is kidnapped and scratches a message onto DC the cat's collar, and when his owner Patty discovers this, she plays amateur detective with the help of DC to try and find the culprits. Sounds like fun. Yeah. I'm just in the mood for something a bit lighter, I think, after um, after this. Uh, but, you know, yeah. you, you just got to... I, I would encourage a, um, you know, uh, potentially something with a, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. a Christmas no. theme, potentially, you know, because it is... is we, we are now in December. Unfortunately, there are... Online. So, so unfortunately, <laughs> there are no links between Spice World and Santa Claus the movie, which is undoubtedly the greatest Christmas film of all time. Apart from Die Hard. There we go. And um, a Lethal Weapon. Uh, so, John, hello. Uh, Ford on Hawkeye's TV. Did he find that shit in the garbage? He's t- he had a television. <laughs> um, thoughts on TV. Did he find that shit in the garbage? <laughs> um... Don't know about. I don't know what that's actually referencing. No, uh, I don't. Not is it in the new episode? I've only. Is that yeah? Is that three. the newest episode? I, I don't understand. But um, please, fall, uh, let's know. Ah, Kingpin beat Clint with Echo's leg. Mark my words. Holy shit! <laughs> they do say that. Um, they are saying that. Um, uh, Kingpin could be coming back. Uh, yeah, I heard, they I have heard just it. confirmed that um, Charlie Cox uh, is back. Charlie Cox is dead at all. Yep. Um, so uh, if I could get Vincent D'Onofrio back, mm. that'd be something. Um, that'd be good. That'd be good. That'd um, be good. While we're in Marvel territory, nice yeah. segue. So, John, we're going to watch Spice World next week, I think, if I'm um, barring any issues uh, acquiring a copy of the film. Um, which, you know, you think would be easy given the, you know, the, the deep cultural heritage the film has. Um, <laughs> did you see the Into the Spider-Verse 2 trailer this week? I did see Into the Spider-Verse 2, and um, we were both very big fans of the first Spider-Verse movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, it's 
standout for best Spider-Man movie to date. Um, and I, I'm, I want to see the, the the first proper story trailer for this one because at the moment I don't know what to expect from this from this trailer that released. It looks beautiful. The animation looks fantastic, as I had no doubt it, it would, considering how good the animation was in the first one. What are your thoughts? I was blown away. I can't say that I'm obviously I'm not a comic book reader. So mm. I can't say that I'm instantly familiar with what it's referencing, but it just brought back a lot of really good feelings about how much I enjoyed the first one and how in, how inventive it was and original mm. and entertaining. Um, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, take my goddamn money. Take it now. <laughs> like, it, it's, no, it, it, it was, I mean, it is scooting by on the strength of what they did in the first film because there's not a lot there. It's mm. a bit of a teaser at this point in time, but it, yeah. it, it, it teased it in all the right ways. I was mm. I was all about that. So yeah, they they've got my twenty five bucks in the, in their back pocket there. But, and like, if you're a Spider Man fan, what a great mm. time to be alive! Yeah, like yeah, I, mean, I mean, they are just doing great things with Spidey at the moment. Like we look like you're going to get a multiverse. We are getting a multiverse Spidey in about ten days. Yeah. Uh, and then you're getting, you know, uh, the Into the Spider-Verse 2. You know, mm -hmm. apparently Tom Holland has signed on to do another trilogy of Spider-Man films. Mm -hmm. It's it's all Spider-Man getting... Uh, spoilers, did you get to watch Venom this week? Uh, no, I did not. Well, I will not say that then. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's all Spidey all the time, and it's it's a real it's mm -hmm. a real good time if you're a fan of that yeah. particular character. A hundred percent. Um I, there's there's been um, a lot of people kind of saying starting to now that the this early teaser trailer for across the Spider Verse has has come out. There's some saying, oh, I wonder if we're going to see an animated version of um, uh, Tom's version of Spider Man. And similarly, is there going to be a little tease that potentially either um, Spider Man No Way Home or across the Spider-Verse is going to potentially showcase the first live-action Miles Morales. I think it's about time. I think it would be great if they did do something like that. Um, they always seem to ask so much of Spider-Man, though. They, all, they really do. Like, so In a way, he's, he's, he is, and it's interesting, it's, it, he probably is their best-known and most popular character now. I mean... Yeah, maybe now even more so than Iron Man. Now, especially now that RDJ's given it away, and mm. and Captain America, I even say even more popular than Captain America and that kind of thing. So, um, now that they've got yeah. Spider Man right with the yeah. Marvel Spider Man films, as opposed to what they were doing with Andrew Garfield, um, <laughs> you know, they just they probably is their he's probably their Batman, right? He's probably their marquee yeah. character. And Marvel probably regularly to this day kick themselves that they don't fully control that character and they've got to negotiate with mm. bloody Sony. And Sony yeah. probably sit there and go, man, we could have bought the entire Marvel catalog for like 20 million bucks or something. Like basically, oh. they would have, they would, the rest of the Marvel catalog would have been steak knives with the yeah. Spider Man deal. And they said, no, thank you. Um, yeah. But then again, like, would they, would they be what they are now if, yeah, who knows? But, um, he is, uh, he is, you know, it's a little bit like what Batman does. Like, you know, 
Batman is kind of the the entry point into into DC films. Um, yeah, and that's true. Yeah, he yeah we, we had this conversation when Justice League came out, and you're like, what what is he gonna do? What's he gonna do? <laughs> you gonna throw money at them or what? You know, like. He introduces he introduces people. It's like, hey, this is my wizard friend. <laughs> this He's, is my rage monster. What's your what's your superpower? Networking. <laughs> uh, so John says Agatha got her Agatha referring to Agatha from WandaVision got her role from playing Dr. She Octopus in this into the Spider-Verse. You are correct. You did do that voice. Ooh, uh, good call. Spider-Man Spider-Pat also says Spider-Man superpower is having the world's worst luck. Um that's fair. It's a, it's a fair point. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, but you know, that's how we like him. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see. Just going off a little bit of a tangent onto No Way Home again. There is um, the the ominous line of um, I think it's Doctor Strange talking about how all these villains they they need their end at Spider Man, and it's like that's going to be an interesting one because Peter Parker, Spider Man from Tom Holland, has never actively been involved in someone's death and i think that's a good emotional thing to to take the character onto um especially if there's like the 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 trailer teases the possible death of mj falling and will she do the gwen stacy hitting head on the back and dying and all that stuff um i don't think they will yet but um it's one of those personal trials and tribulations that this version of Peter Parker hasn't come across because unlike the other two, um, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire ones, we haven't had Uncle Ben's death. The closest that, have, that it has come has been the mentor death of Tony Stark. So a death close to the family of Peter Parker Spider-Man would be interesting. And if it's he was sort of tangentially involved in the death of Mysterio. Yeah, and it looks like they are gonna kind of play on that a little bit in the movie, which is good. I think that ramifications and responsibility and with great power comes great responsibility, blah de blah de blah. I think that is going to be portrayed in a more interesting way than it has in the past, where it has has categorically in the past of cinematic Spider-Man being this burden that uncle ben just like oh dying breaths here have trouble <laughs> you know it just kicks on to him uh we want a good certain says fans we want a good spidey villain marvel here is all of them fans not quite my tempo i disagree i think everybody's like everyone's like fans we want three spider-men thank you very much um <laughs> and you have not shown us three spider-men and we are not happy until we see three spider-men i think that's where kevin feige's comments about um Charlie Cox uh, coming back as Daredevil was like, oh, we don't. Um, the the time for his reveal hasn't been uh, hasn't been shown yet, or anything like that. It's like, okay, because people haven't seen Spider Man yet. I, I think he's going to be in there. It, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do. So, yeah. Spider Man Three, the Sam Raimi one, suffered mm. from having him throwing the kitchen sink at it. We had three villains, you know, Green Goblin, Venom, mm. and the Sandman. We had Toby Maguire doing part Venom party. It was just, there's just too much going on that nothing really stuck uh, in um, 
in the original Spider-Man 3. So being the third Spider-Man film for Tom Holland, it's interesting mm. that they're doing a somewhat similar similar sort of thing in this. We are going to have at least we know about three villains, I think, in this film. So mm. um, there was not more. There's a Sandman, there's Electro, there's Green Goblin, there's Doc Ock. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, yeah, I think Marvel going to be uh, more successful in making that fit. Uh, on screen in a way that kind of does everyone makes everyone happy yeah i'm curious the the way that the villains are being shown in the trailers i'm wondering if um doc ock is being shown a little bit more apathetic and a little bit more anti-hero rather than straight up villain like it seems like he is willing to just talk to Peter Parker after his reveal and where he first sees that this Peter Parker is not his Peter Parker, blah, blah, blah. Um, There seems to be more conversation going on there. So I wonder if they're going to do a little bit of, oh, there's not, there's not four villains. There's three and a half and two and a half or one and a half heroes. Um, Yeah, it's, I uh, and there's also going to be other villains that I can't mention mm. because uh, <laughs> um, it's going to be, be fun. Jumati's Rhino. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, it's exactly what's going to be. They're going to they're going to bring back um, yeah, I don't know Jeff Daniels from it was his name. Uh, Jeff Bridges from the Dead from the first Iron Man film. You thought I was dead? No. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I'm I'm super super looking forward to it. I, I in in Marvel we trust. Uh, Sir John says Marvel, Vulture, and Mysterio were bad. I don't know. I liked Vulture. I liked, I liked Vulture. I, and I really enjoyed I liked Michael Keaton. I didn't quite dig on what they were doing. Mysterio in the end with like, it was all illusions, but um, I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was fun. Mm. I do kind of wonder a little bit if they're taking a bit of a piss on the the character of Mysterio, but because, you know, there's, he makes that speech about the the bullshit science behind multiverse and and suddenly it's like oh it is real like, yeah, okay you were wrong here we are what does what does he know he just used to work at stark industries so. yeah um <laughs> i have i have faith they're gonna pull this off because they boy they're gonna let a lot of people down if they don't yeah expectations now, I also like to, unless there's any other thoughts on spider-man and no Impact. please I just want to go into the trailer for Matrix 4 Resurrections. Well, it came out yesterday. Mm. I've tra- been a couple of new trailers since we last talked about it. I yeah. put a Facebook post up today and said, Who asked, what did you ask for less? Visa Clerks 3. <laughs> um, the consensus seems to be Clerks 3, and I'll pay that. Kev, <laughs> love, him as, love him as we do. Mm-hmm. It's been a while between decent pieces of work for Kev. Um, yes. it's he's just he's just being Kevin Smith right now, and you know what? Well, power to him because if, if I could get away with that, I would. Um, we do, I am every Wednesday. <laughs> I am of the opinion, the school of thought that says the Wachowskis haven't made a decent film since The Matrix. I don't think anything they've done since then, and I do not count Faith of Vendetta because they didn't direct that. Mm-hmm. Um, they produced it, I think. Maybe they wrote you didn't it. watch Sense 8. I did watch some of Sensei and it was crap. Um, I loved it. Particularly season two was fantastic. I couldn't make it past three or four episodes. It was unendurably awful to me. <laughs> um, it was just so Wachowski. It couldn't be the Wachowski is Wachowski. They were Wachowski. 
Um, it was just so them, and it was oh, what a drag! And oh, Daryl Hannah was so bad in it. Uh, <laughs> so I did try uh, Sense Eight, and I, along with most people who watch it, apparently, because you do yeah, very well. Yeah, um, didn't dig it, and I don't think I've dug anything yet. I mean, I did go back this week, as I said at the start of a show. Uh, I went back and watched Matrix Reloaded this week because mm. um, uh, Michelle, who I uh, who I spend a lot of time with now, is my co-host of our coming podcast, Why We Fight. Um, <laughs> it will be available soon. Um, <laughs> we, uh, it's her favorite Matrix film. Um, really? Yes. Um, okay. She prefers that over the original, uh, and I remember my impression of it being talky, boring crap. Um, and you know what? It wasn't, wasn't that bad. There's a lot of the action holds up, but the talky bits are really talky, yeah, and they're unintelligible. You mm. know, but, but I feel like you know, it's you know, it's their philosophical stuff just gets so bogged down and it's so boring and like so contrived that it's it's difficult to really give a shit about what's going on. And like the scene with the architect and the Merovingian, and then you're like. I've got no idea what's going on. For me, I think the scene with the Merovingian is more egregious than the architect, because at least with the architect, he is talking the the language that he uses to express himself and the the purpose and function of the matrix is kind of robotic. And that's kind of what he is. So it sort of makes sense for the character whereas the merovingian i don't get what program he's supposed to be and therefore the the way that he talks and the making a cake that gives a woman an orgasm it's like okay i, I don't get why you're doing that that was weird yeah um i thought i had my video at 1.5 so we take a breath man is that me or him or both of us who do you mean john <laughs> Me or him, him or him. Uh, uh, and the thing is, I think it's still a weak film. In, it's a significantly weaker film than, than the original Matrix in the sense that everything that they got right about the Matrix, there was um, just a little bit crappier about the sequel Reloaded. Mm. What was interesting, though, was I, I – do you remember – maybe you're a little young, I don't know, but do you remember when The Phantom Menace came out in the 90s? I and I remember – Everyone loving it when it came out. Like you go back and you can go back and there are YouTube videos of reactions, people reacting outside of the cinema, saying how amazing it was, mind blown. It was going to be like a classic for all time. Mm-hmm. And then you let it percolate for a while, mm-hmm. and then you know, within ten years you got people making forty minute videos dissecting and your red letter media. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Oh, dissecting yes. why it's a piece of crap, and it's you know, universally acknowledged as a complete failure, artistic artistic failure if not a business failure mm-hmm. as in, you know arguably the worst star wars film made yeah um arguably uh, i funny enough my i've had my imdb account now for about 20 years believe it or not so every now and again i'll go in a bit we're talking about a film i jump in i go what's that and I look at it, I go, i've rated that film okay <laughs> I must have seen it at some point. I given uh, Matrix Reloaded an eight out of ten on IMDb at some point in the past. Mm. Uh, I don't know when. Probably around eighteen years ago when it came out. And I'm like, I think this film has suffered the uh, Phantom Menace effect in the sense it's um, yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. It's definitely not an eight out of ten. It's more like a six, I think. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think the last one's probably about a four because he just got even messier. Yeah, it really so did. This, this is a long way for me to say, I don't know what to expect from them, but they haven't made a good film in a very, very long time. I don't think it's a natural fit to a fourth film. I feel like it's because nothing else the Wachowskis have done have worked. They're going back to the well. A little bit the way, the way Kevin Smith has done in the sense that it's a safe space for him to play in the clerk's world because if it's got clerks on the banner, everyone, uh, anyone who was a Kevin Smith fan is mm. going to see it. Um, yeah. Whether or not, despite the fact that clerks two was kind of crap and everything else he's done recently has been crap. So if it's got the matrix on the banner, people are going to roll up and see it. If it's got Keanu in it, people are definitely going to go and see it. Yeah. But there's absolutely no reason I think to be optimistic about this film. It, to me, so far, it looks like it's almost kind of playing a little bit into its own programming, for lack of a better descriptor, where it's self-aware. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going back to the Matrix, and there, there seems to be a lot of in-jokes, and it's like, okay, are we going to... Because there, there's bits in the trailer where he's watching and there's a video of the Matrix the, the first Matrix movie is like, okay, are we having a thing where it's a program within a program within a program and you're breaking out of the program to go into a different program to go into a different program to break out of another program? And you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> it's kind of what it is. It kind of feels like, oh, are we going to go Rick and Morty? I don't know what to expect from this. And what, what I'm curious about is only one of the Wachowskis is coming back. Um, they want to just go off and do their own things, and one of them has decided to continue with this. I think it's Lily has gone off to do her own thing, and this is Lana. Yes, that's right. And I'm curious to see how that's going to translate to the story tone because they have been famously a production sibling team from the very beginning. They've always worked and been credited for writing and directing together, equal share, everything. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of which elements from the other Matrix movies are being continued on, which are fading to the background a little bit. Um, certainly the action sequences in the trailer look on point with the rest of what has come before. They've got some very pretty people in this. You have got uh, Keanu Reeves, Christine, uh, Christina Ricci, Jessica Henwick, Carrie Ann Moss is back. Priyanka Jonas. Um, you've got Neil Patrick Harris in there. Jada Pickett-Smith is back. There's a lot of pretty people, and The Matrix is filled with pretty people and not ugly people. That Merovingian guy's back, too. Yeah. So uh, it's no one asked really for interesting that. to see just what kind of flavour this is going to be. Is this going to be more of a traditional fair? And can The Matrix... Because when The Matrix came out, it re it rejuvenated action movies. Sir John says, I watched The Matrix at eight years old. I thought it was the peak of all art. You're not far wrong, Sir John. It was a masterpiece. I watched it at the drive-in last summer when cinemas are still closed here in Melbourne. It fucking holds up so well. It's so good. It's an absolute stone-cold masterpiece. And you can watch it as an action film and enjoy it. You can get uh, under the covers and tinker around with the uh, the philosophy and the messaging mm. and come up with whatever you want to come up with by by watching yeah. it and doing it, putting thinking about it. And I think that's a sign of a masterpiece. So you're mm. not far wrong. 
I absolutely agree. He says, I remember my parents had to teach me about the birds and the bees because I got a boner watching Lara Croft. I even played the game, big fan. I, I think <laughs> uh, I think they're the only person who, who found Lara Croft attractive. I don't think that was a common theme at all. Um, um, but yeah, going to, going to your point, I, I think that The Matrix inspired so much. It inspired so many people to come up with fan fiction, to do the little short stories. It's why we got the Animatrix. It's why we got multiple Matrix games where they were really trying to push the, the boundaries of games and narrative telling in games. Largely failed more than they succeeded, but they get they gave good tries. I knew some people who were super into the, into the Matrix video games. Yeah. Like yeah. There was some, like that was that was really original at the time. It was like storytelling for the movie went on in the video game. The video game was super linked to the movies. Yeah. And it was more thought out than just the Emperor appearing in Fortnite. <laughs> um but I I just look at it and it's like this is a fertile idea it's still got so much potential the matrix as an idea as a concept for other stories and i look at it and it's wonderful and then i just have james cameron in my head is going oh yes the world that i've created for in pandora and avatar it's so fertile i don't ever need to make another movie like, really okay okay well you're not going to be very ambitious about it i i, I believe the same thing and i think this could suffer from the same fate of the later Star Wars films, and it leans too, lent too heavily on the Star Wars, the Star Skywalker tra- um, mm. yeah, character, yeah, saga, sorry. Mm. Whereas, like, it's an interesting, I, I know, and I'm gonna say it again because I'm a fucking broken record, but just go off and have a look at the Animatrix. There's mm-hmm. a whole world they just built in there, mm-hmm. in, the, in that one one hour video, I think it's different, one yeah. hour of, of content. And yeah. there's a whole beautiful world of stories you could tell out mm. there. But and obviously, but you want to tell Of course, you want to tell another story about Neo because that means you have Keanu in it, and that's what people yeah. want to see. But, you know, if, if this is a kicking off point to having telling other stories in that world, I'm all for it. But, yeah, I just, I'm with you. All the trailers seem to be callbacks. Yeah. Do you remember this bit? Do you remember this bit? Do you remember this bit? And that could be a deliberate tactic just to sort of get mm-hmm. people interested because it's been, can you yep. believe it's been 18 years since the last one of these came out? Like, it's amazing. Um, th- so there are people who are adults now who weren't born when mm. this film came out, um, or when the, the last Matrix film came out. So um, I, I'm definitely curious. I am open-minded in the sense that I want to mm. be I want to be proven wrong. Mm. A little bit yes. like when you and I turned up to see the 2016 Ghostbusters film. We two went in with open minds in the sense of like, Yes, the trailer looks like crap. Yes, I think mm-hmm. the idea is questionable. I mm-hmm. want this film to be good. I love the Ghostbusters. I want to see a good mm-hmm. Ghostbusters film. Yes. And that turned out the way it turned out. Um, I'm going to turn up and I want to see a good Matrix film. Mm. I don't know that I'm particularly confident of getting one, but I am going to be very happy if I'm proven wrong. Mm. See, now I'm... My my thought for, for, this, for this Matrix things. I... I'm hopeful. I'm always hopeful. I always want to be impressed with every movie that I go and see. I, I want to just enjoy what someone has created. Um, so my hopes are relatively strong. I kind of feel like that, ironically, it's been 18 years since the last Matrix movie. Ironically, I feel it's too soon. And I think they should have kind of gone the Cloverfield route 
where it's just like, oh, we're just going to tell these stories the, at the very end, or there's going to be this tiny little snippet of something in the background to showcase that they're in, these stories are set in the Matrix and just kind of branch off there. Like even just a simple thing of doing the iconic um, deja vu of the cat somewhere yeah. in the background you just see the same cat just so that there's that little bit of oh my god oh my god this is this is in like cloverfield lane they, um i don't think uh wakowski's uh known for subtlety yeah Correct. that kind of and, and that especially in that kind of you're gonna, you're gonna tell a new matrix film i think you've got to be loud and proud about it but um there are different ways i mean like i said i want to be proven wrong We've got a, we're going a little long, but do you want to move on quickly and talk about multiplayer gaming before we bore everyone to death? Yeah, why not? Why not? Let's just talk quickly about that. Oh, uh, Powerpuff Anime Conspiracy, Powerpuff Girls of the original One Punch Man. Ooh. I kind of like that idea. I, I like One Punch Man. That's a film I'd like to see get done. <laughs> one Punch Man. <laughs> Who would you cast? You could cast Keanu or Keanu. You could do that indiscretionless. Okay. Um, so we had the opportunity to do some multiplayer gaming, which we've been trying to do for a while. Mm. We get World War Z up and running a while ago, but we had some technical issues that prevented that from happening. Yeah. Um, but uh, the other night, we got to try out uh, an hour or two of Back for Blood, which mm -hmm. is the new uh, game from the Turtle Rock, who were the creators of the yes. original Left 4 Dead series, which is one of my favourite game series of all time. And because, mm -hmm. of course, Valve don't do third games. They're not interested in doing anything about property. Yes, of <laughs> they so, don't make games anymore. They just make money. Uh, exactly. So um, we have uh, Turtle Rock making an homage, shall we say, to mm -hmm. Left 4 Dead in Back for Blood, which is basically... Uh, imagine someone had photocopied Left 4 Dead a couple of times, um, and and, and the photocopy glass was a bit dirty. <laughs> you change your names, dates, and places. You got back for blood. Um, oh man, they got a smudge. It's, and so it's basically the same thing. Yeah, four. The multiplayer game. You have four. You control up to four characters, working your way through a level, shooting zombies. Lots of special infected zombies, or what do they call them? Ridden, riven, ridden. Yep. Ridden. They can't call them infected now. Mm -hmm. um, the Ridden, as special zombies, are big giant guys you have to shoot um, weak points for, and you mm -hmm. get to get to, the, get to the next safe room is the, mm -hmm. uh, the gist of the game. Uh, you played a little bit more than me. What are you making of it? Um, like I said to you off air, this is a game that's it kind of feels bare bones, and it's like, oh, that'll do for a lot of it. The graphics, the, the, the map design, the monster design, it all feels like, oh, that's serviceable enough. People will make their own fun. And, like, we were playing together with a um, friend of the show, Eric, and it was it was fun because we were just pissing around and making jokes. And But the action was not that fun. You kept commenting about how bad the guns felt. And it's like, yeah, the, the action of shooting... It should, when you've got hordes of zombies, it should either feel terrifying but satisfying or dumb fun and satisfying. And it didn't feel satisfying at all and it didn't feel terrifying. Um, the one thing that I did enjoy is the first time we had that, that giant ogre thing, that super monster one just appeared and it's like, oh, fuck, uh, run. <laughs> 
And that was the one moment where it's like, okay, I can get behind this. And then it just went back into this lethargy of make your own fun. Go on. <laughs> I've given you a game. You go off and do things yeah. with it. Um, yeah. I'm not saying it's terrible. And it could definitely be fun with four players. And, and it was fun playing yeah. around with four players. It's just a... Left 4 Dead was 13 years ago. In 2008, mm. that game came out. And that was that's a better game than this game. Mm. Um, and I'm saying I'm not by no means, and like I'm going to put my hand up and say I stink at most multiplayer games, but as shooters, you know, not really my jam. But I was reasonably good at Left 4 Dead because mm. I played it a lot. Um, and the guns, when I say the guns felt crap, it was more like you'd move your controller just a smidge, and the gun would move way further in terms of aiming than you would expect it to. Now, maybe it's me, maybe it's just me. And I'm really crappy. I'm old and I'm crappy with the controller. I don't know. I play a reasonable. I play a reasonable out of um, Apex Legends, which is a, a multiplayer arena shooter, and I'm pretty awful at that game too. But <laughs> I'm not completely unschooled. Uh, completely unschooled in shooters. So that kind of thing really bothered me. If that didn't happen in Left 4 Dead, like the controller felt more precise, the guns felt more precise, and maybe the interesting thing about the guns in this game is you can get different qualities of weapon in the sense mm. of like, whereas in the original Left 4 Dead, you had the choice of, you know, shotgun, assault rifle, sniper rifle, mm. um, you know, but there was no variations on that. Whereas in this one, because you're earning money during each round, you can, there's actually an opportunity to buy better weapons and add-ons and yeah, mm. that sort of thing at the end of it. So maybe I was just using really lousy versions of a gun and, maybe. you know, that's expensive. You're, you're expected to grind the game to get better weapons throughout. I don't know, yeah. but the card system I found confusing also. Yes. I think it's, it doesn't explain itself well. And the, I like the concept of it because it does throw in this possibility of almost like random, random generator. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't explain its own rules well and you just end up kind of going, all right, well, I'm just not going to use that then. I just picked the same one five times. I just want to start the round. Yeah. Uh, Sir John is just telling us a great movie fact that I found recently, Shrek was a love letter to Chris Farley. I think mm. if you look into it, Sir John, Shrek was written for Chris Farley, if I'm not mistaken. I think Chris <laughs> Farley was originally supposed to be Shrek. And they they got Mike Myers when Chris Farley died, but you're gonna have, I will be happy to be proven wrong on that fact. Um, but yeah, it's 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 okay, it's mm. okay. I just found while I was having fun, I found the the crappy controls. Uh, I found the big monsters really annoying in the sense mm. that I just didn't because the guns are so inaccurate mm. that it's hard to hit those weak spots, at least for me anyway. So yeah. Um, anyway, I, it was, I have a counter for it though. Mm-hmm. We should play um, World War Zombie Army 4. You mean the Nazi, Nazi yes. zombie? Yeah, I've got that, actually. Yeah, I've played a little bit of that game. It's not bad. It's fun. It's like a B... Yeah. It's all set up like a B-movie, from the soundtrack to the, just mm. the basic premise of it, everything. And it's like, okay, this is purposefully rough around the edges, and it is fun to just shoot zombies in the head and watch them go... And explode or get a testicle shot on a zombie. The interesting thing about that game is the, the sniper element is harder to achieve in multiplayer because you're doing waves mm. and waves. And so, but time, well, some of the satisfaction you get from 
winding up the perfect shot and then you sort of seeing the bullet time of mm. the bullet entering the skull and yeah it's still a fun game i played the a fair bit of the uh, uh nazi zombie army <laughs> whatever it's actually called i think of it title, but yes i have those games they're fun mm. um uh, halo you had a poke around halo as well yeah for the first time ever i experienced um halo multiplayer have and you I never played Halo before? Just never Halo multiplayer. I've played Halo before. Like I've tried. I've got the Master Chief Collection, and I've downloaded and tried playing Halo Five. And Halo Five is universally acknowledged for being pretty lousy. Mm. I'm playing. I'm trying to get into it because I'm. The reviews have been coming in for Halo Infinite, and it sounds really good. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be playing that later on. Um, but. My God, it's really fucking hard going back to Halo One. Like it's. I I will agree with that. I think you've you're a little bit like Seinfeld. You missed Seinfeld in the nineties. I don't think you can make it up now. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like the idea of going into a first person shooter and not having a run button. Yeah, the, the moment for the, the moment for the, I mean, the Master Chief Collection has an updated version, but I know that, I think maybe that's only graphics, but maybe it's not. It's only controls. graphics. Yeah. Um. I have the Master Chief Collection here. I had the same thing. And I actually remember hiring hiring Xbox because I couldn't afford to buy one at the time. <laughs> we rented one and we rented a couple of games and one of them was Halo. And, uh, and I tell you, I actually did buy it. We rented the game and we actually played it all weekend. And mm. then I thought, okay, fuck it. I'm going to buy one. You know, I scrounged the money together and it came with Halo. And I remember playing Halo for like days on end. And mm. that first game was revolutionary in... 2005 but that's 16 years ago now so mm-hmm. when i went back to try it again when i got the master chief collection a few years ago you're like ah, okay it's just you know it, you can you can acknowledge its importance it's cultural it's heritage it's importance to the culture of gaming but it doesn't really stack up today and the only real appeal i think to it now is nostalgia yeah um but even and if, and so they don't I'm really hoping they do a better job of onboarding new people for Halo Infinite for the story because Halo 1 through 5, trying to jump in, um, it's just, it feels very too late. You're, you're not on board. You're probably not going to get it. And I think that's part of where Halo 5's story problems came in. They tried to get you to play the character of John Locke um rather than master chief and people didn't like it and but the the game itself the graphics and the movement of it felt good the story i had no emotional investment in you're playing john Locke and you're trying to track down the master chief it's like okay well i don't have that emotional connection to any of the past halo games so i don't care uh, how did you find multiplayer though ignoring yes. the fact that the story doesn't really matter in multiplayer it's great fun. I'm awful at it, but it's great fun. It is fun, isn't it? I've had a, a go at a couple of different modes, which is sort of your um, capture for There's a few different modes. Mm. I mean, I, yeah. well, I had to have the other day while I was waiting for uh, my version of my uh, version of um, Back for Blood to update. I, I played a little while um, mm. and I had to go at a capture of a point, mm. which is pretty much what it sounds like you have to capture a point a certain number of times on, a, on mm-hmm. the map i had to go at a capture of a flag 
and a ball, like a football one, you have to pick up the ball and carry it oh, to a, yeah. carry it around for a certain period of time during the game while the other team try and kill you to get the ball off you. Mm. Um, I found, I think, the capture of flag and carry of a ball one's the most fun. They were really entertaining. Yeah. I mean, the, the straight-up death matches are entertaining, particularly how <laughs> your Spartan just ragdolls when he dies and they just fall in funny things. And um, But it's... It feels just really entertaining in a way that, for me, first-person shooter multiplayers haven't felt just fun since, like, the N64 GameCube era of, like, GoldenEye and Time Splitters and things like that, where they were just fun. They weren't these hugely competitive things. There is the competitive nature to it, obviously, but it just felt like, Come on, have a shoot have have a shoot up. And my role, whenever anyone plays with me, my role is distraction. It always has been in any team sports. Football. So John so John, we are talking about Halo Infinite, sorry. Mm. Uh yeah, <laughs> I I am with you actually. Uh, like I have I played the first two Halo games mm. and that was <laughs> a long time ago. Uh mm. and I've never really dipped into multiplayer of Halo very much because he's no it always seemed very competitive and exclusive, mm. um, but just jumped in and, you know, I, I, I'm like you, I'm pretty bad at it. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm still learning all the controls. And like the first two minutes of that ball one, I'm like, hang on a second. What's, what am I doing? I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, there's a ball. Oh, I think we've got the ball. Oh, we're winning. <laughs> Yay. Um, it, is, it doesn't, it's not a massive barrier to entry. There's a barrier to being good. But anyone can anyone can just sort of jump in and you know have a go, and the controls aren't particularly onerous. Yeah, it doesn't take. They're, they're, they're surprisingly simple, but you can see that you you can master it and use um, the the surroundings and like jumping into some of the um, vehicles and things like that. It's it's just fun. It's yeah. It's it's a it's a low learning curve. It's not like mm. it's a really shallow learning curve, but mm. the skill curve will take obviously significantly longer. But mm. as you know, it's just kind of maybe it's the matchmaking because I've played a couple of matches. I start getting put in the games of other people who are, you know, maybe as terrible at the game as I am, mm. uh, and not pros. Um, <laughs> so and yeah, you, you don't actually feel quite so terrible after a half a dozen games or so. You're like mm. get the hang of this. And the fact that I, I stink doesn't really feel like it matters. Yeah. I, I was I was impressive. So like, ooh, I got five kills and three assists. Twelve deaths. Oops. <laughs> I still contributed. <laughs> and and that, it's, it's like um, when I play uh, Apex, uh, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on me not to suck. Mm. Uh, my teammates, because sometimes you might be waiting two minutes for a game, which this isn't that much in the grand scheme of things, but you know, people get a little annoyed if you absolutely stink it up. And, you know, mm. it's not hard to stink it up in that game because, you know, uh, it's, you know, the learning curve is a little bit higher in that one. But mm. I, don't, I felt this one was a little, certainly a significantly more approachable game in the sense that I didn't play it for 20 minutes and go, I've got no idea how to get better at this, you know, yeah. or I've got no idea what's going on. And it's also not the same thing again and again and again. Yeah. I played three games. I got three different modes. I don't know how I did that, by the way. I must have pressed something, but like you know, um, <laughs> that's what I got. And I was pleased about that. Yeah. 
So I think that's a thumbs up on the multiplayer. We you're in your plan to give the um the uh, campaign. Yeah, it sounds like they're doing a little bit of the Far Cry treatment where you've got an open world and then you go to these different areas and kind of explore them and things like that. So that's I love that kind of game. I love Far Cry games. Um, Far Cry in space, hell yeah, I'm all down for that. <laughs> um and i think if i'm not mistaken that's available on game pass so it is game pass yes um, and it comes out tomorrow yet again it's the best value offering in gaming right now mm-hmm. like it's fucking amazing value for like 10 bucks a month yeah and you know it's especially when you get the ultimate pass so you get your game pass you get your um uh games of gold and you get live and it's like 16 bucks a month 250 games, brand new games, straight day one. The it's day and day, the Halo is there, but I mean, Bethesda game, any future Bethesda games are probably mm-hmm. going to go straight to Game Pass, you'd think, because yep. they own it now. Skyrim 6. That's who knows when that's really going to come, but you know, yeah, it's it's a great deal. Yeah. Should we, get, should we let people go and yeah, enjoy let's, their, let's, let's get their out of lives? Food, man. I need it's food. It's a little long show. Um, thank you, uh, Sir John. Thank you, Kara Keedy, for joining us earlier. I don't know if you're still watching. Um, if not, um, but thank you to anyone who's chosen to listen tonight. It's appreciated. Mm-hmm. Like, share, and subscribe. Yeah, we will go a bit more in depth on um, the so like next few, the most up-to-date episodes of Hawkeye next week. Um, we have got Spice World for our chain movie of the week. Thank ah, you, Travis. I will be talking about The Last Duel, the new Ridley Scott film. Oh, okay. And I am going to get around to uh, watching Venom. So we'll have a little bit more to talk about on that one. And um, obviously more Wheel of Time because I love that. And I'm sure we'll have some more multiplayer stuff as well. If we get the chance, we'll jump in together and play some more there. Well, maybe we'll have Nazi Army if we have time. But um, otherwise, thank you very much for watching, listening, and tuning in. We'll see you next week. Good night, night, ladies and gentlemen.